Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm bullish on this team like I was last year. And last year, this team put up 109 points. Yeah, Colorado was good, but they, they were a juggernaut. Um, you know, I mean, they, they were only Blues are only six or seven points away from tying the most points they've ever had in a single season. So, and with pretty much the same team except for one guy in, in Perron coming back, I'm 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 pretty bullish on this team right now. I'm bullish Shock- on this team like I was. Shocker of the year, the voice of the Blues is real excited about the Blues this year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Listen. He has every reason to be excited about what the Blues can be, and we are broadcasting live from the Blues season preview party out at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. Come join us. We'll be here until 2 o'clock. The Fastlane will be broadcasting live as well from 2 to 6. Plenty of giveaways. We have an opportunity for you to tickets to the home opener as well. So come on out. Say hello. We'd be happy to have you out here at Copper Fire in Belleville. Alex, I wanted to get your opening thoughts on this team because they are coming off of a year in which they scored 109 points. They finished the season 49-22 and 22 with 11 overtime losses. This was an objectively great year for the Blues a year ago. It didn't end the way that any of us wanted it to, but injuries are as much to explain that away as anything else. Coming into this season, what are you anticipating from the St. Louis Blues? I'm anticipating... The same, if not a better regular season, which sounds insane to say, considering they nearly set a franchise record in a lot of categories yeah, last season. Yeah. But I, I am feeling just as confident about this team as I was confident in this team going into the postseason last year. And like I think that it's not so much what they, what they did in the regular season last year and comping it to this season, but it's carrying over what they did in the postseason against Minnesota and Colorado and saying I feel like that is going to carry into this upcoming season for a lot of reasons but the main ones are you got two pending unrestricted free agents that have a lot to play for in Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko one of those guys had a sensational season last year the other dealt with a lot of issues whether it was COVID or injuries or whatnot you never got really up to the level you anticipated you've got two young players who have already taken that step into stardom quite possibly could take that step this season into superstardom But you also have depth on this team at the forward position, at the defensive position. You're stronger at defense than what you were last season. 
and then your goaltending. And I know that's a lot of people's question mark when it comes to Thomas Grice versus Billy Husso. I don't think that's going to matter this season because I think Jordan Bennington's going to have a big year. I think what you saw last year is what you're going to see this season with the Blues, but for an 82-game stretch. See, I think they take a bit of a step back. I still think they're a playoff team. Oh, cool. I think they're yeah, a very yeah, good team. Oh, yeah. Blues awesome. party. Let's celebrate cool. the upcoming season. No, they're going to be worse than what oh, yeah. they were last I'm year. Negative, Nancy. I'm, I'm going to celebrate that they're going to be a playoff Look, just team. Just because you that? stared at the peak war all season and it didn't pan out in the postseason according for the this, Cardinals. According to my numbers, when it's like 30 degrees in the ice arena, they struggle. So, I, uh, Alex, he does doesn't think they're going to have one of the three best seasons in franchise history. Can you believe this guy? All right. Can you believe him? Now I thought you were – first I thought you were <laughs> on my side. Now I hear sarcasm, and I don't appreciate that. I, I think they're going to be either around where they were last year, maybe around that 103, 105-point mark. I think they're a couple couple losses more than what they had last year. And I think when I look at this team, I think they're in a battle for that third spot. I, I don't think they can beat Colorado or Minnesota. I think Nashville – I like Nashville – better than the Blues coming into the season, but I think they can compete with them. I think the Blues either finish third ahead of Nashville or they get a wild card spot and Nashville finishes ahead of them. And then I'm, I think we talked about this off air or on air earlier this week. It just depends on how much you buy into Dallas. All I'm right. not sold on Dallas, but I really like that hey, Nashville team. Hey, I'm going to let you finish. But w at what area of the team do you feel like is taking a step back this season from last year? I don't think they're going to be as deep scoring-wise as they were last year. And because of Perron not being here? I mean, it's I don't expect good. Barbie to have a 20-goal season again, especially if we're talking about a guy that could end up being on the fourth line when Logan Brown is back. And then I know that you think the fourth line adds like five wins to a team, <laughs> but I, I don't. Not I, five wins, 30 goals to a team. Yeah. I, I, think, you're, I think you could see three 10-goal scorers on that fourth line this season. Yeah, I'm and not in buying the into aggregate, that. which I know you hate. I, I know what that means. I know, I know. It's a soccer. I don't they had pretty close that. to that last year from their fourth line. I know that people kind no, of No, they at did. They had 10 goals maybe combined from the 10 players that played on the fourth it, it, line. It's just not true. Are you counting Pekka's like three? <laughs> yeah, no, Pekka had only two. Come on, man. You know that. No. I mean, Nathan Walker in and of but, himself had, what, eight goals last year? Okay, but even if the offense takes a step back, your defense was the biggest issue for you last year, and that defense is now solidified all season long. And by the way, Do I got to bring up got, Bennington's numbers last you can, first half of last year but because that's why, I'm concerned. But that's why I said I'm not looking and comparing to what they did last season overall. I'm looking at what they did in the postseason and carrying it into this season. And that's why I believe that Jordan Bennington is not going to be the guy you saw in the first part of the season. I think you're going to see a Jordan Bennington that finished the season last year coming into this year. Yeah, I, I think all of it kind of comes out in the wash. Like, I, I think that you net, have net. improved. Did you put the Reds with the whites? Probably, yeah. And then they became pink, and it was just this whole thing. It was a mess. Um, I, I think that they've improved the defense. I think that is – if anybody disagrees with that, like I'd, I'd love to talk to you about hockey sometime because don't. it's kind of hard for me to believe that you brought back the same guys and then added in another piece that showed last year that we can disagree with the contract. He was clearly somebody that fit in well in Nick Letty. He improved the defensive core. I am worried a little bit about the step back that they are going to take in net this year. I am worried about not having David Perron. I do think that it means that you're probably going to take a bit of a step back, especially on the power play where he was excellent last year. And I do wonder how long it takes for the chemistry to develop between Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo. And if that doesn't work the way that they're hoping early on, could set them back a little bit. Not to the place where they're going to miss the playoffs or anything like that. But I do think sometimes we underestimate just how special last season was in terms of the regular season. I think both of these things can be true. I think it's possible the Blues are worse in the regular season and then also set themselves up better for playoff success this year. Because Jordan Bennington is the reason why this team is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I trust him when you get to the playoffs. I'm not sure how much I trust him in the regular season. I don't know if he's a 50-game starter in net. 
I think you're going to need Thomas Grice to come up with some big-time games for you. And that's not such a bad thing. Like, if Thomas Grice ends up starting 35 games this year for you, that's okay as long as Jordan Bennington is himself once we get to the playoffs. So I would take the under on 105 points going into the year. I think they finished third or fourth in the Central Division. And also, I don't think that that means that they're not a Stanley Cup contender going into this year. I, I would take the over, and I would say I think they're going to be first or second place in the Central Division this season. And I think they're going to be competing for one of the top teams in the Western Conference this year. Surprise, surprise. The pre- and post-game host thinks the Blues are awesome. It is surprising. No, it is. I know. Who do you think is most likely from this team to win a postseason award? Everyone. And how, that makes sense. And how much <laughs> does that influence what you're saying there with you think that they, they could be a 105-plus point team? Uh, I think you have three categories that could earn votes. I think the most likely one to probably win, oh boy, because I think Justin Falk is going to get Norris Trophy votes. I don't think he'll win it because you can't win it when Kale McCarr, who is a forward who identifies as a defenseman. Um, I think Jordan Bennington will earn Vezina trophy votes. And then honestly, I think you could probably put O'Reilly into the Selkie conversation. If I were to put money down and say which one is most likely to win, I would say right. Yeah, we're in right. Illinois. We might as well. Oh, you know I'm going to be doing it, but it's on my DraftKings app that I got pulled up got right now. Sportsbook, probably probably head over unaffiliated sportsbook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's just himself. Uh, I, I would say I'd probably put money on Ryan O'Reilly winning the Selkie Trophy, but right behind him, I think you can argue that Jordan Bennington could be in the conversation and Justin Falk could be in the conversation. I would probably go towards the Jordan, B Jordan Bennington one. I I'm not sure he's going to put up the regular season what? to get the Vesna votes, but I think if this team is going to be as good as they were last year or they're going to be better, as Alex was saying, and they finish second or first in this division, it's going to be behind Jordan Bennington, I believe. I, I don't think they can do that if Bennington goes through. I know they can't do that if Bennington goes through struggles this year because I don't think they have the backup that they had in Huso last year. Grice will be good. I'm not sure he's going to be great. But I, I do look at it, and I say that when I see this team, I, I think if Bennington gets Vesna votes, it's because they finished first or second. I said this earlier this week. He's basically what Goldie and Arnato were for the teams, for the Cardinals' offense, how the Cardinals' offense was driven by those two. Bennington drives the success for the St. Louis Blues in the regular season. I'm looking right now at the Jack Adams award odds. What would you guys guess are Craig Berube's odds to win the Jack Adams award this year? Ooh, he's got to be 10th or lower. So I would say plus 1,000, something like that. 35 to 1. That is wow. the best Damn. bet that you can make oh, right yeah. going into the preseason. Hammer that right now. Is because Craig Berube is an excellent coach. And if you believe Alex Ferrario, if you trust him, if you think I'm a, a Jack donkey and you think that I, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to so, hockey and so that the Blues are going to finish first in this division. Is that a donkey named Jack? Or? Then you better believe that Craig Berube is going to get some votes for Coach of the Year. And the reason why is because people aren't expecting it. If you look at any national analyst going into the season, and by the way, that's who votes on this award, if you look at them, they're all saying the Blues are going to finish third, fourth, or fifth in the Central Division. And if they finish first, then people will say, whoa, who could have seen this coming? The St. Louis Blues came out of nowhere, and suddenly they're the team to beat in the Central. And if that happens, the thing that they will all point to is, Man, Craig Berube took a team that is completely different than the identity that we saw from them in 2019 when he was arguably the coach of the year. A physical, grinded-out, defensive-minded style in 2019. And now, 
he has modernized their approach. They have Robert Thomas, and you've got puck movers. You've got Jordan Cairo and Vladimir Ter These are your best players now. And that is the team that was able to overtake the Colorado Avalanche in the Central? Yeah, my favorite bet to make on a Blues player, individual, whatever, to win an award this year, it's Craig Berube at 35-1 to 1 to win Coach of the Year. I would hammer that right now if you're looking at it because I'm with you. Now, I think it's going to be difficult for him because even if those expectations are tempered and he does win the Central, I'm looking at two other coaches that I think are going to be the – the hot commodity in terms of picking them to win coach of the year. It's going to be Bruce, uh, not Bruce Suter, who just passed away. That's why his name popped up. Daryl Sutter um, with the Calgary Flames because I think they've revamped their team to be dominant. And then I think Jay Woodcroft is going to be the other one with Edmonton because if Edmonton wins their division, everyone's going to pick Edmonton because Edmonton is the sexy name in the postseason. But if it's 35-1 to 1 odds, I would hammer that with Craig Berube because I do believe he will be in the top three. Same odds as Binner. That's all I'm saying. Same you know odds what? as Benner. Do a uh, yeah, which one of those is more likely in your parlay? Oh, stop it! Those two and Justin <laughs> Falk as a North. They're tied I together. You, you're gonna you're gonna just bank on that. One. What do you think is more likely? Like if we played more likely to happen right now, more likely Craig that Craig more likely Berube to wins Coach of the Year or that Bennington wins the Vezina. Which one's more likely? Craig Berube is going to be more likely because I don't think there's as big of a difference between the two. But when you talk Vezina, I mean, Igor Shosturkin is so far above and beyond where Jordan Bennington can be, but I think Jordan Bennington can get those votes. Craig Berube is going to be on the same pedestal as Jay Woodcroft and Daryl Sutter with the Calgary Flames. So by I would way, say Berube. By the way, just for what it's worth, Tory Krug, 101, 100 to 1 to win the Norris Trophy, along with Justin Falk. Guess who else is 100 to 1? Pareko? Jacob Chikrin. They're all well, be a member category. of the St. Louis. Does it count if they get the vet, uh, the uh, Norris Trophy, but it was like when they were traded midseason? No. No? That, that's okay. not how it works. I, I, Justin Falk should be better than that, in my opinion, but that's just me. I'm a homer. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters, including the game that we will all be watching on Sunday afternoon. Who is going to come out and raid supreme in the AFC? We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though. What is the plan if the Cardinals were to bring back Jose Quintana? I think it's a no-brainer. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. And the two sponsors are Illinois Office of Tourism and the Illinois South Tourism. Come on out. Hang out with us. We'll be here from 11 to 2. The Fast Lane's coming up at 2 o'clock. They will be here until 6 o'clock. We are previewing the Blues season. If you want a chance to win a Ryan O'Reilly jersey, if you want a chance to win some signed pucks, maybe you want to go to the home opener tomorrow night. You That's can do all here. of that. I want to go to the home opener. If you come out here today with your chance to win a pair of tickets to tomorrow's home opener. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals. What is the plan if they do pl if they do end up bringing back Jose Quintana? I was reading Derek Gould's questions and answers yesterday over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. Here's what he had to say about the situation, Alex. He said, quote, 
I think Quintana has pitched his way into being an interesting fit for the Cardinals, one who makes a lot of sense here at the start of October, excuse me, a lot more sense here at the start of October than he did when the trade was made in July. The Cardinals recently described Jordan Montgomery as one of the best pitchers in the league, and I found that to be quite interesting. They do have him for one more season. Matz is under contract, and Quintana is a free agent. Is the three-lefty rotation a direction that they would like to go? It's kind of hard to see a spot for all three if the Cardinals are going to line up Michaelis, Hudson, and Flaherty as a part of the rotation as well. There's a real riddle here, but his style of pitching, his fit in the clubhouse, and the cost that it would take, there's a lot that suggests that he would be a good fit for a return, and maybe the move would be to trade one of the other starters to make room for Quintana. Again, that coming from Derek Gould over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. I think Quintana makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. We just saw him start game one of the wildcard round for a reason. Down the stretch, he was your best starter. He was the one that we trusted the most when you got into the biggest spots. So bringing him back, in theory, makes a lot of sense. Here's the problem. You do have a lot of lefties already in your rotation. You're expecting a return to form for Steven Matz next year. You already have Jordan Montgomery there. That makes it a bit crowded for another lefty to be in your rotation. You add that into the idea of, hey, do you want Quintana or bringing back Adam Wainwright? And I think that ends up being the decision. I think this team has three options when it comes to adding a better player to their rotation. Option one, bring back Adam Wainwright. Option two, bring back Jose Quintana. Option three, trade or sign a legit front-end starter. And I don't think you can do two of those three moves without removing somebody else from the equation that is already on your roster. And I just don't see how or why you would do that. Alex, what is your take on Quintana's potential return to the Cardinals? Look, I would love him back, but my question to you would be, can you trade or would you trade Montgomery or Steven Matz this offseason? No. Well, then if you're not going to, then Jose Quintana is not on this team because I, I don't see them carrying three lefties in their rotation. It's already jam-packed, and if it comes down to Wayno or Quintana, I'm not saying I'd rather have one or the other. I'm just saying the Cardinals are going to lean towards Adam Wainwright, and I do believe that they are going to be searching for that legit number one guy this offseason. So if that's the case, none of these, none of these problems fall towards Jose Quintana being the answer. And I hate it because he pitched better than Montgomery with the Cardinals since he was acquired. But I also think there are times where you get a pitcher and it just works for a couple of months and it's great, and then you say, you know what, let's, let's go our separate ways. And that might be where they're at with Jose Quintana because what worries me is you bring him back and you're thinking, let's see if we can do that again. Sometimes you can't strike lightning twice. And that's where I would say, you know what, this was great. Thank you. But I think we need to address other areas of our team. Our rotation is somewhat set for the upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think it is basically the decision because I don't think they're going to go add that top-end guy. I don't think they'll be in the market for that guy unless it's via trade, and even then I'm still skeptical they'll go do that. So I think it comes down to are you going to add the top-end guy like a Justin Verlander? I don't think they'll be willing to spend that kind of money. So then it comes down to do we bring back Adam Wainwright or do we bring back Jose Quintana? And I think they're going to lean towards bringing back Adam Wainwright. I kind of agree with Alex, though. Jose Quintana was really good for this team once he was acquired. He's kind of one of those guys that it, he finds it to where it clicks right for a year, and then like the next year you just don't know what you're going to get from Jose Quintana. Remember when he was with the White Sox? He was awesome. He goes to the Cubs. He really struggles and didn't find himself again really until this season when he was with Pittsburgh. So 
I think as great as Quintana was, if you had two open spots in your rotation, yeah, I think you could lock him into one of those and bring back Adam Wainwright as well. But because you really only have one open spot, I think they're going to bring back Adam Wainwright. I think they're going to side with a guy that's been with the organization for years. I think you bring him back, and I know that you have some have concerns about how things ended for him this season. I think you bank on the veteran experience and hope that Wainwright actually figures it out, and I think he will be back, and they, they will let Jose Quintana walk. And it's not even so much about Adam Wainwright. It's also about like the amount of pitchers you have in your system to where it's like you are at the point where it's like, look, if we bring this guy in, where, for how much the Cardinals want to grow with their younger players and put them in positions to succeed, like you got a couple of guys that we were talking about last season should get an opportunity. Like you're just gonna you're gonna jam that opportunity away from some of these guys if you bring back Jose Quintana. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm looking at the rotation right now. I, my expectation is it'll be some combination of Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery, Mats, and then either Flaherty or excuse me, Wayno, a free agent, a trade, or Quintana for that last spot. You were forgetting a name. Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery, Mats, and then one of Montgomery, free agent, trade, or Quintana. I'm not forgetting anybody yeah, you else. Are. Somebody that will not be in the rotation. The future ace of Dakota this Hudson, oh Palante, Zach Thompson, Liberator, Graceffo, McGreevy. Those are all guys that are on the cusp of potentially being able to contribute for your rotation. So I just, like somebody on the text line said, you guys are forgetting that you always need more, more pitching and that there will be guys that end up getting injured. I'm with you. Unfortunately, if the Cardinals were to bring back Adam Wainwright, I think that's going to happen early in the offseason. And in such a scenario, why is Jose Quintana signing with you? What's the point? Like, it's not even so much why would the Cardinals want to sign Quintana. I understand why they would want to bring him back. But if I'm Jose Quintana, I'm looking around the league, and I've got 10 different teams that would like to sign me as a starter, and I'm going to be their number three. And then in St. Louis, I'm like the number five slash six guy. Why am I signing there? I, I'm likely not because I'm not even guaranteed a spot into their rotation. And here's the other thing, too. Why are we sitting here saying, like, oh, you can never have enough pitchers. you got to load up. Like, we talked about this at the trade deadline. The Cardinals, if, if there's one thing John Mozeliak is great at, it is identifying pitchers who make sense for this team at the trade deadline to bring them in. You've got other massive areas to address this offseason. I'm not even thinking about starting pitching because you can address that in the trade deadline and find somebody that has been great like you did the last couple of seasons. Oh, I'm definitely, the other problems. I'm definitely considering it. Like, if Bueno's not back, I would love for them to add a frontline starter. I mean, if, if the conversation comes down to, okay, Bueno has decided to retire, and now we're talking about free agent, trade, or Quintana, I, I understand that everybody loved what Quintana did for them this year. I did, too. It was great. I want to upgrade. But I'm not I, I doing I want to get somebody even better than what Quintana was able to do for you this year. I agree, but I'm not doing that until I address my offensive problem because that's what's kicked me out of the playoffs the last two years. Agreed. I, it's got to be both. It, it's got to be you've got to walk and chew gum at the same time this offseason – John Mosellock has to add offense. That is a prerequisite. But also, if you have an opportunity to go out there and add, like your guy Shane Beaver, for example, and I'm only using the name because that's one guy that has been rumored to potentially be available via trade, we don't know who else is going to be out there this offseason. There may be other names that emerge, but somebody like that, yeah, go get them. If they're $12 million, that's not going to cripple your, your payroll going into next year. Like, if you end up trading a Tyler O'Neill, for example, you're offsetting $5 million there. So you're basically adding $7 million to your payroll by going out and acquiring that guy that's on a similar deal to what you're expecting Jordan Montgomery to have next year and what you already have for Steven Matz. 
you can add that to your payroll right now, and it's no problem. You can still go out and make a splash offensively. That's what Mo has to do this offseason. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think if they're going to go make that move where they're looking for the high-end pitcher, it's going to be via trade. Because I think if they're going to make that big splash signing, I think it's going to be the bat, and I think it's going to be the outfield, and that's where I get to the brain of Nemo of the world of war. He's going to be that guy they bring in. I don't see them being able or being willing to commit to doing both in free agency, going for another high-end starter like a Verlander or Rodon, someone like that, and also adding a key piece to the offense yeah, in free then agency. you're adding $70 million exactly. to the payroll. They're not doing that. And, and they're not going to do that. So I, I agree with you. If they're going to do that and look for that high-end starter, I think what they will ultimately end up deciding to do is they will look to the trade market, Shane Bieber, the name you mentioned. But I still think that they're going to lean towards Quintana. I, I think they will choose Quintana over the high-end ace. I think they'll say, look at what Miles Michaelis was for us. He's a guy that's an ace. And I think I've said this since we started talking about the offseason, which sadly started on Monday, which <laughs> is I think they're going to bank on Jack Flaherty getting back to being the ace that they believe he is. And it's a, it's a, big, it's a big bet again, betting on him being healthy when he hasn't been the last two seasons. But I think that's the route the Cardinals will go. I think if, let's say, Wayno calls it a career and he retires, I think they'll say, okay, our number five next year is Jose Quintana. We saw him. We like him. We'll bring him back one year, like $8, 10000000 million probably. And then you've, you've got a top three where they'll probably go with Flaherty, Michaelis, and uh, Montgomery. And then they'll have Matson, Quintana be the innings eaters at the back end of the rotation. 65780 is the air cover service tax line. Final thing on this from the 980. BK, so you're saying that you trust Jack Flaherty to be healthy and contribute, even though you know he has injury concerns every season, and you'd be trusting Adam Wainwright to be able to provide you an entire season without having dead arm or any injury issues once again. That's just too many ifs. You've got to stop thinking with your sentimental outlook of Adam Wainwright. I would rather have Jose Quintana. Yeah, man. I, stop <laughs> being emotional. Jeez, this is the problem with you. You're so emotional, you think they're going to win, and they get bounced in the wild card. That's, that's the problem. Um, I did post on Twitter yesterday. I was curious where fans would come out on this, and it got almost 1,000 votes. If you could only re-sign one of these two players, and I just threw out a, a deal that I think would make sense for one of the two. It might end up being more, but just – for, for the sake of the argument, one-year deal worth $10 million, who would you rather keep, Jose Quintana or Adam Wainwright? I was shocked, absolutely shocked by the results. I thought it would be similar to this, but in favor of Adam Wainwright. It was 60-40 in favor of Quintana. Now, I think some of that is recency bias, where we just saw Quintana as your game one starter, and Wayno might not have been a starter in the wild card round, much less in the playoffs. So some of it is as simple as that. I thought the emotional sentiment would carry more weight, though, than that. Do you think that this is the first offseason? Because I have not felt this way previously. Is this the first offseason where Cardinals fans have a wandering eye and they're saying, mm, would it make more sense for us to upgrade from Adam Wainwright, even if he decides to come back next year? Or do you think that the vast majority of fans, because Twitter is not real life, we know that. I, I, what? Very true, it is not. There are probably, if, if our listening audience were to do that exact same poll, I bet you it comes out in favor of Adam Wainwright. But do you think that this is an offseason in which we would see more people veering towards the sign somebody else than bring back Wayno? I don't think so. I, I think it's going to go back to Adam Wainwright as much as, as – much as, Twitter makes it seem like it's starting to lean that direction. There's so much that goes into Wayno. It'd be the last year for him. You're going after that chasing number, the history, uh, as the amount of wins you'd get as a member of the Cardinals. You're solidifying a Hall of Fame career. I think Cardinals fans, the majority, would lean towards bringing back Adam Wainwright for one more. I, I think they might lean towards Quintana, and I'm not sure it's really based on numbers. I think it's just – I think people are ready to have the – 
bow tied on the end of one era of Cardinals baseball, and that era is Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and Albert Pujols. I think if Yadier and Albert were to be back next year, I think they, people would be in favor of having Adam Wainwright back as well. I think this is kind of the, okay, it's kind of the end of an era, and Adam Wainwright just, it, it feels weird to say he's clinging on because I don't think that's true, but I think that's how some Cardinals fans will look at it. They'll say it's time to go make the next best improvement, especially as we saw what could potentially be the beginning of the end for Wainwright, if that's, those last six starts were truly what he's going to be heading into this season. So I think it would probably lean more towards Jose Quintana. I think people would say he's a younger pitcher. We saw what he looks like. He looks good. Let's bring him back. He has better chance to be more successful. And let's just put a nice little bow on the end of one era of Cardinals baseball. I think most people would, people would still take Wayno. I, I think they would say, let's see Wayno come back for one more year. I trust that guy in a big spot. And I trust him to be able to get himself back on track. He clearly found something, or he, he believes that he did, at the end of the season. And he's going to fix his, his mechanics. He's going to come back next year. He's going to look like the guy that he was the first five months of the season and not what he was the last month. I, I think that's what most people would say. I do think it is shifting in a way that I was unprepared for. Because I was kind of here last year. I was like, hey, if Charlie Morton said he wanted to come to the Cardinals, what would you rather have, Morton versus Adam Wainwright? And I think most people were like, I can't even believe you would ask that question. That's a stupid, ridiculous assessment. And I get it, because Wainwright was really good down the stretch last year. This year it's different. He, he finished poorly. So I do think that it has shifted a bit in the direction of, hey, what else is available for us out there? I'm very curious to see where the Cardinals are at because they're the only vote that really matters here. And if, if, you, had a, uh, if you had Bill DeWitt Jr. on Truth Serum, I think he would tell you, I'm bringing back Wayno if he wants to come back. I think that's the move that they will ultimately make, and then we kind of know what the rotation is from there. Michaelis, Flaherty, Wayno, Montgomery, Mats, and they just hope for health. They hope that Wayno stays on top, and he's been able to fix something with his mechanics. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We are broadcasting live from Copperfire in Belleville, Illinois. Thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and Illinois South Tourism for making that possible. Come hang out with us. We'll be here until 2. The Fast Lane coming up from 2 to 6, all live from Belleville, Illinois at Copper Fire. But coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including the game of the week in the NFL. Who is going to reign supreme at the top of the AFC? And will this game decide home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. Huge thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and the Illinois South Tourism for making that possible for us. Come on out. We'll be here until 2 o'clock. The fast lane from 2 to 6 as well. Bunch of prizes to give away throughout the day. Signed pucks, Ryan O'Reilly jersey. We've got a pair of tickets to tomorrow night's home opener. It's all available for you. Get here before 6 o'clock. Every hour, we're going to be giving something away. 15 minutes from now, we'll get into Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. But right now, let's get to some NFL quick hitters, including the game of the week. Jags and Colts. Was that a joke? Oh, I thought it was wrong. The game of the week was last night, man. It was the commanders in oh, the... Sorry. Come on, that was the game of the week. Did you see? There was a three-point difference at halftime. Okay. It came down to the final throw. 
How is that not the game of the week? Show me a better game than that. Al Michaels might retire because of that game, okay? Uh, there's no way. Al Michaels was very energized by that game last <laughs> night. Did you hear him? I did not, no. I think I, no, I think Colts no. Jags is the biggest game this weekend. Sorry, I'll oh, correct okay, myself. Okay, so weekend battle for the AFC South. Two teams below 500. I think Actually, we start having a Friday night football game and start putting the Broncos on that one. Ugh. No, no, God, no, please no. Friday nights are for the Broncos. <laughs> Let's ride. <laughs> uh, the Bills and the Chiefs they play this weekend. Did you guys know that nah, the nah. two best teams in the AFC? I got to talk to Chiefs Donnie here. Chiefs are at home. Jersey. It is the first time that Patrick Mahomes has been a home underdog since he became a starting quarterback in the NFL. Chiefs will and probably I think it's right. Him. I think that the Bills should be favored. I do believe that the Bills are the best team in the NFL this season. I think they have a whole heck of a lot to prove. Last year, you go back to the playoffs. That's as an em emotionally damaging of a loss as you can have. I have pictures to prove it. Oh, wait, no, that was when Cincinnati yeah. spanked them. Thank you. Uh, there was 13 <laughs> seconds remaining. They gave the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. It was too much time. And the Bills ended up going home for the second straight year because they lost to the Chiefs um, on the road. Who do you guys like in this game? And as a secondary point on this, do you think this game will ultimately determine the number one seed in the AFC? Yes, and I think you're looking at, which hopefully it gets set up this way, but I think you're looking at the AFC championship game. And hopefully we don't get some type of push-off that's like the first round in the AFC, but I think this will determine supremacy in the AFC and honestly I like the Bills in this one and and I know I shouldn't be doubting the Chiefs because it is at home and Patrick Mahomes finds ways to just do miraculous things but I think when you look at this team on paper I would give the advantage on defense to the Buffalo Bills and I would give them the advantage on offense because I think they have more legit weapons than what Patrick Mahomes has on his team. I agree with you there, and I, I think this is the boogeyman for the Bills. They have to beat them yeah. to be proven that they are the favorites, and I agree. I think whoever wins this game will ultimately end up with the number one seed. I am going to favor the Bills. I do think that their roster is better. I think they're the best team in the NFL, and I know they had that loss. What was it, in week two, I believe, and they're four and one. I, I didn't read too much into that. I, I think they are the best team, and I think they are clicking on all cylinders. I know that defense is a little beat up, but I think they are just overall the better team. I think they go into Kansas City. I think it's going to be close. I think that line is about right with them being favored yep. by two and a half. I think it's going to be about a three, maybe I think a one-score game. Yeah, so I, I would. like 37-34. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think the Bills win this one. They're the deeper team. I think they end up being the number one seed, and then they'll have to prove it again probably in the playoffs when they meet up. Chiefs had no answer for Gabe Davis in the playoffs. They still have no answer for Gabe Davis right now. I know that Stephon Diggs is the, the best receiver on the Buffalo Bills. That is objectively true. The Chiefs have a bit of an answer for him, though, with Trent McDuffie potentially coming back this week. Chiefs first-round corner. He only played one game, then had the hamstring injury. He's been out since. But he showed high potential in that game in which he played. I think he can do enough to slow down. Not stop, but slow down Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis is going to have an absolutely crazy game. He had 200 yards the last time these two teams played. He could do that again on Sunday. Uh, that's totally in play. I like the Bills. I think they win like 37-34. And I think that this will determine the number one seed in the AFC. I think because of this, the game is going to be the, – the AFC playoffs will be going through the Bills. And don't forget, the number one seed matters more now than it has previously in the AFC because they're the only team that gets the bye. Yeah. There's only one team now that gets the bye in the, the NFL playoffs. I think it's going to be the Bills, and I think it's because they're going to get a win on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> from the 636. BK's in Illinois for two hours. He already hates the Blues and roots against the Chiefs. <laughs> 
Welcome to our world, 636. <laughs> On Sunday night, the game that we will all be watching is the Cowboys at the Eagles. We have all said the Eagles are clearly the best team in the NFC so far this season. The Cowboys have been intriguing, though. Cooper Rush is doing just enough to keep them alive in these games. Their defense has been dominant. Do you give the Cowboys any chance? They're a six-and-a-half-point road underdog in this one. Do you give the Cowboys any chance to beat the Eagles straight up on Sunday night? I absolutely give them a chance because of their defense. I think with Micah Parsons being healthy and for how good their defense plays, specifically the defensive line and those linebackers, I give them a chance because I can see them finding a way to shut down Philadelphia's offense. I don't know if Jalen Hurts is as mobile as he usually is, which I think takes away a big weapon that Philly has to where he can get outside the pocket and kind of make defenders question what they're doing. I think Dallas has a legit shot to win this game. I agree with Alex. I think they have a shot. I The over-under set at 42. I think it's going to be under. I, I think Philadelphia is going to be held in check. I do think they win still, but I think they're going to be held in check. I see this being like a 2010, 20, or 17-10 kind of final. I think that's the way this is going to go. I think Philadelphia's going to have to figure out something probably at halftime, make an adjustment, and go into the second half to beat Dallas. Well, they Dallas. don't score in the second half, so if they oh. need scores in the second half, that's going to be problematic. Well, they will this week. They'll figure it out at halftime, but I, I think the Dallas defense is good enough to where they can shut things down on that Philadelphia Eagles offense. I don't think it's enough to beat them. I don't think Cooper Rush can make enough plays to beat the Eagles, but I think they've got a fighting chance in this one. Believe in Mike Carthy, ladies and gentlemen. Believe. In what? Mike McCarthy. Okay, I thought you said Mike McCarthy. I was like, who is this? Mike McCarthy, too. You can believe in him if you'd like. <laughs> I don't think they have a chance. I, I love the Cowboys' defense. It's spectacular. In this game, you're going to need your quarterback to make some plays. And their quarterback oh, can't make enough plays. Oh, you don't like the 4-0 Cooper Rush? No. Like, what are you talking about, man? He's 4-0. I understand. If you put the way that Cooper Rush has played so far, if you put him on most NFL teams, they would be 0-4. I can name five teams that he would turn into a winning team. Five teams that he could turn into a winning That's team. That's not fair. Who? Washington. No. Chicago. Are you serious? Yes, yes I'm <laughs> very serious. serious. I am absolutely serious. He threw for 102 yards last he week and they it. won. He could do it for the Chargers because Justin Herbert's awful. Okay, enough of that. The Cowboys, <laughs> I do not believe, can overtake the Eagles this, this week if they don't score more than 24 points. And I don't think Cooper Rush can do enough for them to be able to score 24 points. So I'm out on that. If you guys had to pick one upset this week, one upset – you look at the spread. You think this team has a real chance to be able to pull off an upset, upset for whatever reason. Who would you guys pick as your money line pick of the week? Honestly, I think mine would be the Cowboys uh, because I think, I think they could be the upset. I like the Seahawks. I don't like the at Seahawks. At home, no. plus the two and a half points going up against a Cardinals team that I think is a complete fraud. The Seahawks can score. I don't know where this came from, but... Uh, apparently, Geno Smith is this generation's version of well, Rich Gannon. Everybody wrote him off, and he didn't write back. <laughs> apparently, he's he's writing back now. I, is it crazy that I might actually could, I, I could I could buy into the Broncos? I could see it because like on the road, Coco though, for Coco yeah, Puffs. but Staley and Herbert, man, it's just not a combination that's working <laughs> real is, well right yeah, now. Yeah, but Russ, going to be Russ the worst coach game that we have seen all season, which is saying something. Yeah, that's true. We could be seeing the worst tandems of coach and, and quarterback this spell, Monday night. Spell it out with me. It's four letters. You can keep up. J E T S. Jets, Jets, Jets. I think they got a shot to take down the Packers. I don't Ooh. trust Rodgers in that wide receiver corpse. Give me the Jets. They're going to win this one. I'm taking them wrong. on the money line. You spelled it wrong. Coming up in 10 minutes or so. 
show, a surprise addition to the show. Ollie Marmel is going to be joining us, the Cardinals manager. So we will talk to Ollie Marmel coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Be sure to be tuning in for that coming up next. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN got questions we may have the answers maybe text now to 65780 it's pk and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the air comfort service X line. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, we will be joined by the Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmol. So be sure to tell your friends, Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmol, going to be joining us coming up at the top of the hour. But before we get to that, let's get to some Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. From the 314, big decision making here. My wife and I want to move down south, although we love St. Louis. We're at the point in our lives where we kind of just want change. She wants to move to Orlando. Florida. I want to move to Dallas, Texas, where my favorite football team resides. Other uh, between those two cities, which one would you guys choose and why? Alex, have you been to Orlando before? Oh yeah, been multiple times. Between Dallas and Orlando, where would you been to, rather live? I've never been to Dallas. In fact, I don't think I've ever been to Texas, which is surprising in itself. I think I would choose Orlando, um, mostly because the idea of living in Florida is. I don't know, appealing to me, more so just the lifestyle and and I know Dallas is kind of close to the beach also, so I think I'm going to go Florida. Dallas is very much yeah, close no, no, to no, the no, beach. No, 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 no. I went to Dallas. No, no, it's, it's close. I would, I would, I would, no, it's close. <laughs> Check your map when you get home. I promise you, there's a beach close by. I don't think so. Uh, there's I, a river or something. I would definitely say Orlando. I, I've been to Orlando. I really enjoyed, enjoyed Orlando. And it gets, I mean, it's hot in Florida in the summer. Don't get me wrong. It's oh, really it's hot really in hot. Texas in the summer. Trust me. Went there in early, I don't remember, late June, I think is when I went. That was miserable. Uh, so the summer's there, not fun. I would say go to Orlando. If you're going to, if you're going to Florida, go somewhere else. I, or, Orlando would not be the city that I would want to live in. You're two hours away from the beach going in either direction. I, I don't find the city to be. But you're far enough up coast in Orlando to where it, like, it's not a concern every time. You get into hurricane season. Like, oh, I know yeah, it's still no, a concern. Not I'm not talking about the... That would be my biggest concern about going to Florida, but since it's Orlando, like, and I know they it's dealt with the hell, concern. the humidity sucks. Like, you get St. Louis humidity, but worse, and you're not next to a beach. Do you I'm know good. how hot Texas is? It's not as bad yeah, as, it, as in Orlando. Oh, it's I, bad. I, yeah, I know. I've been to both <laughs> in the summer. Orlando is worse. You know what? I would rather be in Dallas because there is more stuff to do, in my opinion, in Dallas than there is in Houston. I'm also a bigger city guy. I think you just stay in St. Louis. <laughs> that is that's the better way to do it. It's better than both options. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything from the 314. Um Guys, if you had to take one team this weekend in a survivor pool, who would you trust to come out with a win? I would go 49ers. 49ers would probably be my team that I trust. They're taking on the Falcons this week, so if you're doing a survivor pool and you're still alive and you have not taken them yet, that's probably the team that I would go with. Man, I don't even know if I feel confident in that one. I'm not sure if there's a team I feel confident in going in this week. Uh, Maybe the Rams. But you might have already used them, but if the Rams are available for you in your pool, maybe the Rams are Honestly, a 10-point favorite. I mean. Probably the Jaguars for how bad the Colts are. They're an underdog. 
I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> I don't agree with that. Nobody is an underdog against the Colts. I'm sorry. I, I would have to say, if you haven't taken Minnesota, that's the one I would go with. Miami playing who? Skylar Thompson? Potentially. So I, I would say I would take Minnesota. I know that's on the road and it's in Miami, but and I don't trust Kirk Cousins legitimately at all, but I think that one works out better because Miami... With, even if it's Bridgewater. I don't trust Bridgewater enough to beat Minnesota, who's got a pretty good team, and Cousins has got some weapons, so I would lean towards the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, next one up from the 618. Guys, would you rather bike 10 miles to work every day or walk one mile to work every day? So bicycle, not a not a motor motorbike. Thanks, buddy. I didn't, just, I, I didn't know which were you going with that just one. Just clarifying. Uh, I would probably say bike because I hate walking. I hate running. I would do the biking over any other any other means of exercise. So, yeah, I would do that one. Biking? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, At least it's entertaining. Yeah. Walking's what? boring. Oh, no, dude. Clear the I mind. know. You go on walks every night with Feels Christmas great. music, man. Nothing, I know how you do nothing this. Nothing hurts. Biking's not bad, though. I can handle biking. I would say biking's better than walking. Wear those tight little bike shorts I get to wear. I'm all in on that. What? Nothing. I... I think I would walk. Oh, God. I, I, I like walking. I got no issues with Are walking. you the guy that gets your foot caught in the spokes of the bicycle? Oh, he would be. Yeah, you seem like that kind of guy. All right, mister. I sprained my ankle and wore a boot the next day after going to a That's golf outing. <laughs> uh, that, that was that was alcohol-induced. There's no athletic ability there. 15 minutes, we'll get to our football pick'em challenge. We were planning to have Ollie at noon. Instead, he's going to bump back to 1230. So we will have Ollie Marmel coming up at 1230. Apologies. Uh, just making things work scheduling-wise for both sides of things. Ollie Marmel at 12.30. Coming up next, though, is Robert Thomas going to make the leap from a point-per-game player to a 100-point player? At least one Blues analyst seems to think so. We'll tell you who that is and why it could happen next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We'll get to Robert Thomas and the potential of him taking a leap to being a 100-point player here in just a moment. But this comes from Luke Horak on Twitter, the Blues Insider for NHL.com. He said, we're going to be in the locker room here in a moment. But Alexei Torpchenko was taking the vast majority of the drill reps along with Achari and Walker. Lebo was actually the extra forward skating on D with Rosen. Quote, I'm not a doctor, but that looked to me like a player that is ready to go for opening night. Alex, as they were taking the line rush, as you mentioned earlier today, that Alexei Torpchenko was the one that was taking uh, the reps with the fourth line. He was also on the penalty kill. Is Alexei Torpchenko actually going to be back for opening night when we thought it was going to be December? It his sounds like it, and I'm fascinated. Now, I think what this is, too, and Baruby will give more of this, but he said yesterday when they asked about him, he said, like, look, I can only give so much of an approval. The team's got to give the approval. The doctor's got to give the approval. And then Torpchenko's got to give the approval. So this might have been that last test for him to say, like, all right, we're going to put you through the ringer. You're going to do the fourth line. You're going to do the penalty kill. We're going to see if you can handle it. They did some physical plays uh, at practice yesterday. So if he comes out on the positive side of this today then I would imagine he's going to be playing and this is fascinating to me because shoulder surgery I did not expect to see this guy I mean T-Bone we saw him at prospect camp when we were standing there and he was in a sling and we're like okay yeah you would expect that he had surgery he's not coming back till December but you know the fact that he's 23 years old and the fact that he has healed correctly and they're putting him through the physical practices 
he might be playing tomorrow night on the fourth line, which I think is a huge asset for this team. I agree with you. I, I think he was their best fourth liner last year. And he was one of their ten, I, I think He was the guy who was generating least, uh, offense in that series against Colorado when they were going with uh, seven defensemen. He was always being aggressive, getting to the net, and it led to some goal. I think he, maybe two. He got promoted to the third line. He yeah. scored the goal in the Minnesota Wild playoff <laughs> series. He, he is a a really intriguing player going into the year, and I thought we were going to have to save all of our Alexi Torpchenko content for December, and no. I was fine with it. But, man, if he's going to be ready to go for opening night, I'm kind of excited about this fourth line. I think I'm going to become fourth line guy. <laughs> Somebody was just making fun of me earlier to say, that oh, Alex thinks the fourth line, it's not as impactful as you think it's going to be. You tell me at some point your fourth line could be Torpchenko, Achari, and Barbashev. That's a really good fourth line. Best fourth line in the National Hockey League. In all seriousness, how, does that rank up there? Like, Minnesota had that line last year. It wasn't their fourth line, but I think it was the grief line. their third line, the grief line. Uh, does it remind you line. of that at all? A little bit. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how they play defensively, but I know Achari is a really good defensive forward. I mean, he got Selkie Trophy votes when he was playing with Boston in that first year in Florida. We know Ivan Barbashev is great at that, and so is Torpchenko. So, yeah, I think you could argue that it's on that side of it. What I also really like about that line is... That they'll beat the hell out of you? Well, that, absolutely. <laughs> We've seen all three of those guys drop the gloves at some point in their career, but I, I also like the fact that they can be trusted by Barubi. Yep. And when, when he trusts a line, that line's not going to play eight, nine minutes a night. It's going to play 12, 13, 14 minutes a night, which takes more ice time off of the Ryan O'Reilly's and things like that, which are going to be useful down the stretch. So this is going to be massive, and this also plays into my idea of three 10-goal scorers on that fourth line. I, I think it's in play. I, oh. I never thought that you were wrong about yes, the notion did. of having three teams. You goal told scores. me off the air that I should not talk hockey anymore because <laughs> I'm an idiot. Wow. And I didn't appreciate that. The thing that I disagree with is that that would be a significant upgrade over what you had a year ago in terms of the goal production. Your fourth line last year produced okay in the goals. The problem was they were not trustworthy at all. But everything else that they did was a problem. Yeah. But the goal scoring was okay. Um, in this team in general, the goal scoring last year was. was Top-notch compared to what it's been in previous years. The 3-1-4, what if they make a poor decision on Torobchenko's shoulder and the Tarasenko incident repeats? That's what, I mean, look, that's always up for concern when it comes to a shoulder. But the fact that, I mean, guys, it's not two practices that he's been getting shoved up against the boards. He's been doing this for the last month. Since preseason and training camp started, he was getting shoved into the boards and playing the physical style. It's not like they just ramped it up two days ago and they said, all right, now you're going to play. And I will say this, it may take maybe... 10 games before he looks more like himself. That's typically what you see with guys that go through shoulder surgery. I remember the first one, I think it was after Vladdy had shoulder surgery. It took him a handful of games. He didn't look like the same guy. And you started to question, is he going to be the Vladdy that we know? And he ultimately got back to that form. It just takes time getting back used to that shoulder, getting a feel for it. And he's going to feel fine in practice, but it's when he gets into that game element. The good news for him, though, on comparing it to the Vladdy thing, like Vladdy had to jump back into game speed for how long he was out. Torpchenko, nobody on that team has been into NHL game speed yet, with the exception of a couple of preseason games. So I would actually imagine he's probably going to jump into the form of things pretty quickly. It's just a matter of how how long they want him on the ice to start the season. All right, so that is the Alexi Torpchenko side of things. He'll be on the fourth line most likely, it sounds like, going into the opening night. We'll give you the update when Craig Berube is made available with the media here in just a little bit. The guy that's going to be potentially your first-line center, though, this year is Robert Thomas. And Alex, last year, he was a point-per-game player for you. This year, we talked with Joey Vitale yesterday, and he said, I think that Robert Thomas can make that jump from a point-per-game player to a 100-point player. Now, that is something that the Blues basically haven't had for 20 years now. 
There have only been 29 players in the NHL. So basically one per team over the last 20 years to score at least 100 points. The guys that are Robert Thomas's age that have done that over the last 15 years, Crosby, McDavid, Ovechkin, Malkin, Dreisaitl, Backstrom. That's pretty good. That, that's a decent list to be on. So if Robert Thomas was able to do this, you're talking about superstar category. That That is what he would be joining. The thing that I find fascinating about him, though, is the way that he would have to do it. Robert Thomas is probably not going to score 30 goals this year. That would be my guess. So if he were to get to 100 points, he would do so without scoring 30 goals. The only other guy that has done this in the last 20 years is Joe Thornton. He's the only guy to get to 100 points without scoring 30 goals. He did it in 06-07 when he scored 22 goals, had 92, 92 assists for the Sharks. Is that a reasonable hope for Robert Thomas going into the season in your mind? I don't think Joe Thornton's reasonable. I actually think it's more reasonable to hope the 30 goals comes into play for Robert Thomas. And here's where I'm coming at with that. And Tebin, I think you mentioned this before the show today. Robert Thomas... If he shoots more, he's got the shot that can be a 30-plus goal scorer for this team. The problem has always been he doesn't shoot the puck. So I went back and looked at it. So the first first 40 or so games of the season, I think it was around like the first 37 games of the season because he was out for a couple, um, he had five goals and took 57 shots on goal. The second half of the season, he scored 15 with 61 shots on goal. If he shoots more, and I know there's only four more shots, but what I'm saying is he's got the shot that can find the back of the net. It's just him shooting the puck. And I know he's been comped to Adam Oates a lot. I think Brett Hall actually even said something about Robert Thomas that direction. I think 97 assists, that's what you said with Joe Thornton. That, yeah. that seems unrealistic because it's rare you see that in the National Hockey League still. I think if he wants to hit the 100-point plateau, at minimum, He's got to score 30 goals. And that's 10 more goals than what he scored this past season. I don't think that's realistic right now. I think it is. With his line of Tarasenko and Buchnevich, for how much those two guys pass, if they stick together, I think it's realistic if Thomas shoots the puck more that he gets 30 goals. I think it comes down to what he does on the power play. If he ends up becoming this year the guy that they think that he can be, which is the replacement for David Perron, that, that's where they're putting him early on in the season. If he ends up being a weapon on that unit and he scores... What do you think, 10, 12 goals on the power play this year? Yeah, how many did he have on the power play last year? It was only like I'm not sure. I nine, can't imagine I think, or many. something like that. Was it that many? It wasn't. He had three power play goals and 11 power play assists. Yeah. Yeah. Add another 10 goals on the power play. If he gets a 12 or 13 goals on the power play, that's how I think it becomes attainable. I, I agree with that, and I, I think that's probably the route that he can get to the 100-point mark because, though I think he has a shot to get to 30 goals because I think he has – Maybe, I'm not going to say he has the best shot on the team because that definitely goes to Vladdy, but I, I think he's top five. I mean, he's got a sneaky good shot. He just doesn't use it enough, and I said this last year. I thought he had the potential to be a 30-goal scorer if he utilized that shot, but I think he's going to be called for more as being the playmaker, especially on five-on-five. On five. So that's where I think if he's going to get to that 30-goal mark, and I think that's where it's going to be attainable for him, it is going to come via the power play. Can he get to the 10 goals on the power play, and then can he get the round where he was this year where he gets 20 goals and make that at five-on-five? Five? If Thomas gets to 30 goals... This team will not miss David Perron the way that I think that they will. 
That, that is that is my like ultimate take on this is if this becomes what Robert Thomas is, you won't miss him on the power play the way that I expected them to. You will have a legit number one centerman who is a superstar that has taken that next step into the range of any of the guys that you throw up against the Blues. You add in the Jordan Cairo potential for a breakout this year as well. Oh, buddy, we're talking about a team that can really go on a run in the playoffs, not just because of what they've done to improve their defensive core, but because they might be an even better offense than what they were a year ago, especially when you get into the playoffs and you've got guys that cr can create their own shot while also creating for others. That's yeah. what Robert Thomas can bring. And add on to those two that you just mentioned and add in the unrestricted free agency looming of O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Shen being healthy. I mean, that's why I said at the beginning of the show that I do believe that this could be the same, if not better, regular season because you have all of these offensive weapons, which is part of the reason I think Doug Armstrong looked at this and said, like, maybe we do move past David Perron right now because we need to shore up uh, defensively. By the way, Rutherford just tweeted, uh, Torpchenko says he's 100% ready to play. Wow. So as long as the doctors approve him, I would, um, I would bet he's going to be your fourth line he's tomorrow. He's my new favorite player. That's incredible. It is. That's two months ahead of schedule. Yep. Like that the, is the dude had surgery a, on his shoulder in the off season. I mean, we the the season ended in what June, May, May early, right? Late May, early June. Yeah, right? late May. Well, yeah, yeah, late May. I mean, <laughs> one. I don't think he had, he had the surgery, surgery right away. June or July. I think he had it like July. We're like three months removed. <laughs> this is insanity. I, I mean, the fact that he is saying he's a hundred percent. And again, for people that are skeptical and like, oh, this is the Blues training staff putting him in a bad spot. If he says he's ready to play, and, and they've done all of the checkups, they, trust me, they know as much as you do yeah. that the thing with uh, Tarasenko went poorly. They're like, just, they're they're just as nervous. well aware of that. Yeah. So if he's... And he's been going he's been going hard to practice and playing physical wow. practices. They've been testing that shoulder to make sure he's good for the last month or so. I mean, I mean look for an example. Logan Brown, who was out with that upper body injury... They tested him heavy at practice on that road trip, and then they said he had to step away, and they got him rechecked. They've been doing this with Torovchenko, and he's been coming back every single day. We got 30 seconds here. The player you're most excited to watch on opening night, given the news that we just got, is who, Alex? The Blues player that you're most excited to watch tomorrow night when the as, Blues open. As much as I'm season. excited to, to see Torovchenko play, I think mine would be Jake Neighbors because he's the one that I'm most interested to find out what he's going to be this season. That's who I'm with. Jake Neighbors, I want to know what the kid is. They're putting a lot on him to be that guy that's going to be on the third line. I want to know what he looks like come opening night. Noel Achari might be up there too for My me. My answer was going to be Josh Levo. Unfortunately, it sounds like he's not going to be in the lineup now. Uh, I'm actually going to go Robert Thomas, the guy that we've just been talking about. I want to see what he looks like this year. What is What has he added to his game because he's the type of player that every year is going to add a little something to his game. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll be joined by the Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmol, to recap his season and to describe what the offseason looks like. Ollie Marmol in 15 minutes coming up next. It's our football pick on the segment that none of us like to do, but we got to do it anyways. We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Why do we keep doing this? I don't know. I can't explain it. I'm having a great time. Tanner, we, we had a... <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Someone will say you're having the bomb. No, Friend I will have the bomb one day. 
Greg came out here and brought us the bomb, which looks like some kind of nuclear device that we are going to put inside of Tanner next week. Well, we are. Look at this. <laughs> and his esophagus, his esophagus is going to go. I mean, that looks awful. Can I can I open it and take a whiff no. of people? No. Why? Don't do that. Why? Because it's going to get on your fingers. You're going to put it in your well, eyes, and there's some me, lawsuit that's coming. Let me coming. see it. Let me see it. The bomb is going to be consumed on Monday oh. after the show, maybe even during the show. We'll see what Tanner's willing to do. Yeah, uh, 11 o'clock. So that was his punishment last week for our football pick challenge. <laughs> this week, Tanner, what are we adding to the mix? Because we have the same two punishments. No, that can have people pick one of these two? Since week one, we stand on Olive with a costume and a sign that says, I suck at picks for an hour. Option number two, of course, is that you are pushing a football sled the length of the football field while Kerry Davis yells at you the length of the field. Option three this week is? You're going to be reading a page out of 50 Shades of Grey on the air. Okay. So how are we going to find, like, the worst page to read? Is somebody going to actually read 50 Shades of The other two individuals. BK's read the book already. We He'll tell us. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll ask Joey okay. V because uh, Joe Vitale, you know, he knows the exact time of in Titanic. You know, when the, the painting. The skin scene. Yeah, the skin scene. We'll see <laughs> if he knows, like, the best page on 50 Shades of Grey. So it is time for us to make our picks by random selection. Tanner was able to acquire the number one pick this <laughs> the, week. The loser gets the number one pick every week. I will pick second. Alex will be the third pick for what it's worth, so Alex doesn't cry. Alex was actually the one that picked to select third this week. Tanner, who are you taking with your number God, one I you pick? Lose this week, BK. I, I feel no comfort in any of the nine games that are on the board. Amen. To start things off, though, I think I'm going to side. I think I did this a couple weeks ago. I'm siding with the Cowboys. Give me Oklahoma State, the college oh, Cowboys, the Cowboys. Oklahoma State Cowboys, plus four at TCU. I'm not sold on TCU. I think Oklahoma State's a pretty good team in the Big 12. I think they might be the best team in the Big 12. So I say give me Oklahoma State plus four. This is going to surprise you guys, but I hate all of these picks again. <laughs> Look, let's just put it out on the front end. We all hate game. these picks. Here's what I'm going to do, though. This has never burned me before. Don't look it up. Well, that's not true. I'm taking Tennessee plus the seven points at home against against Alabama. All right, so minus one for BK. Every time we bet on this Alabama, I stay. I stay always lose. Alabama. I'm surprised you guys both went college. Um, Oh God. Ravens have burned me. Packers, I don't trust. Bills, I can see that blowing up in my face. I'm gonna back what I've been saying all along. I'm gonna take the Cowboys plus six and a half. Okay. I like that pick. I do, too. I hate that I wasn't pick. comfortable taking the number one overall, but I like that pick. I don't hate it. It's fine. And, and you went 0-9 for three straight weeks. T-Bone, how do you feel about your fighting Illini? You didn't pick him, so I guess that should tell me all I need to know. I They got a quarterback injury that could scare me away from that game. Oh, my God. I'm going to I'm gonna go against every single thing that I have said that I uh, will do this season and not pick college football games. I'm going to take Michigan minus seven. Okay. Oh God, I hate that. Uh, 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 uh. I say I, I don't. I'm not sure how good Michigan truly is. That's uh, why it scares me. I, I would take the under in this one because I don't think there's going to be a lot of points scored. But I'm going for the fact that it's a home game, so I'm hoping Michigan can uh, can help me out. Here. We have four NFL games remaining on the slate, which is one surprising. college football game. Illinois is a six and a half point home underdog against Minnesota. That's the only college football game that remains on the NFL side of things. 
Guys, I'm going to take the Ravens as a five and a half point road favorite at the Giants. I do not believe in the Giants. I think what we have seen from them so far this year is fraudulent. It's one of the best coaching jobs that we have seen so far this year, in my opinion. But I believe in the Ravens. I think the Ravens are legitimately good. I think that this should be a eight to nine point line. Instead, it's five and a half because the Giants have punched above their weight this year. I love the Ravens. Hey, man, the last two weeks I've gone Ravens. They've pushed and they've lost for me. Godspeed. I am going to go. I, I said this on here earlier when we were doing NFL quick hitters. I think the Jets win this game outright. Give me the Jets plus seven and a half at the Packers. The Packers barely beat Bailey Zappi in New England when they came to town. So I don't think they're going to be able to cover that line. So give me the Jets plus seven and a half. And then the other one, I think they're the best team in football. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to take the Bills minus two and a half at the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they probably win by a field goal. But hey, that's what covers and good teams cover as we've learned. All right. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I said it earlier, if there's one upset that I could pick this week, I think it is the Seahawks as a home underdog. Two and a half points is the line in this game. I wish I got three. I would feel much better if this was the three-point line in favor of the Cardinals. It is two and a half currently. I will take it anyways. I think the Seahawks not only cover the spread, but win the game outright, beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals once again proven to be frauds. Well, that leaves me with Illinois. Um... I'm actually a little bit more confident than what I thought I was with this. I'm taking Illinois plus six and a half. I think they can. I think they can cover that spread. I think since it's a home game, I think now that they've got that first uh, ranking, that's going to make them real excited. And Minnesota's coming off of a loss, and they're on the road. I'm going to go plus six and a half. Scale of one to ten, how do you feel about your picks this week? Zero. Oh, I, I like to remain confident, so I will go with a solid seven. And if it blows up in my face, make sure you grab this for when we build the highlight package how, on uh, Monday. How confident were you last week? Seven. <laughs> I'm at about a. I'm at about an eight this week. All right, I so I need one to win this. then. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, Jim Campbell, the former Blues forward, will join us live from Copperfire in Belleville, Illinois. That's where we're uh -huh. broadcasting until two o'clock. Oh, Coming Sorry. up at two o'clock, we will have the Fast Lane broadcasting until six. We are live in Belleville, Illinois at Copperfire, thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and the Illinois South Tourism. And coming up next. Ollie Marmel will join us to recap the Cardinals season. The Cardinals manager will also help us preview the offseason for the team. That's coming up next. Stay tuned here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmel, the division winner this season. Ollie, we sincerely appreciate you joining us today. Always appreciate the time. Uh, unfortunately, we have to start on a, uh, a disappointing and upsetting news item that we all saw this morning together. Uh, Bruce Suter, um, the Hall of Famer uh, passed away this morning. I remember talking to John Mozalock. This was about a year and a half ago now. And Mo told us that the secret sauce to the Cardinals organization was the Hall of Famers that were around your players, whether it be in spring training or just whenever they would come back for any of the Red Jacket events. Uh, I'm curious what your impression was of Bruce Suter and what you're going to remember most about him. Uh, to what you decided, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I always look forward to this. But uh, I, I agree with Mo, man. One of the, the best things we've got going is uh, the ability to have these 
all-time greats um, in their red jackets just around the clubhouse, opening day special um, versus always uh, very little interaction with them. But the times we, we were together there during uh, some opening days were, were, were good. Um, but the reality is having those guys around our current players and them continuing to pour into them, even in short conversation, is, is meaningful and lasting. Yeah, well, all of our uh, thoughts and prayers are, are with the Suter family. Horrible news earlier today. So, uh, Ali, you're about a week removed from the end of the season for the Cardinals, and I'm sure it still stings for you, but have you given yourself the opportunity to sit back and just kind of look back on your first season as the manager for the Cardinals? Uh, not not really. Um, to your point, just uh, it was a, an abrupt finish. Uh, it was disappointing. Um, we did accomplish a lot throughout the year. It was a very special year. A lot of uh, stories to be told and some memorable uh, times um, with uh, what we had going there. But uh, but but still, um, the way it ended wasn't ideal. Um, so I've yet to take the time to decompress and actually look at uh, everything that was accomplished. And um, but uh, soon soon ollie is that because you've been busy with your business that you're starting up already danny mack told me that if, if i could ask you one question I, i've got to ask you about the business that you're starting up tell us a little bit about that what, what are you what is this new venture that you're getting into um no my it's <laughs> not because of that that's for sure um my two little ones have taken up the majority of my free time once the season has been up but uh no, my wife and I started a company several years back. It's a uh, it's a tech platform where uh, some of the most uh, decorated athletes out there uh, tell their stories of how they became who they became and um, the ability to uh, sustain success at the highest level, not only just with their skill set, but mentality and overall um, emotional IQ, but we have a technology that allows you to sit there and talk to Albert Pujols, talk to Ozzy Smith and Wayne O and people in the soccer world and uh, football. And it's just, a, it's an interesting platform where you're able to sit and actually have conversation with these, uh, with these athletes um, with the technology called conversational AI. So it's uh, it's fun. We've enjoyed it. Um, my wife and I have been on a crazy journey getting it started and uh, off the ground, but it's been a, it's been an absolute blast, man. All right, Ali, I have to ask because I'm a dad of two also. I'm assuming mine are younger than yours, so how old are yours, and can I get some dad advice? Because I have a one-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-month-old, and I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning your life is a lot easier than mine when it comes to two kids. <laughs> You're in the middle of it for sure. Now we got a little uh, two, two little girls, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and uh, they're troopers, man. Uh, during the year, they travel quite a bit with us. My wife uh, travels a decent amount in different cities, and uh, – it makes uh, it makes the gig a lot easier, I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, no, once the season's over, they uh, they want me full time, so it's been a, a lot of fun as well. Ollie Marmel is joining us here on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals manager. Uh, Ollie, I did want to ask you about the wild card round because when people look back on it, there's a lot that they're going to remember. Of course, the offense uh, going cold at the wrong time. You've talked about that already. When you look back at the first round of the playoffs this year, is there anything that from your perspective you would have done differently now with the benefit of hindsight? Um, no, man, uh, not, not really. I mean, you're always, and this is playoff regular season game. Um, what I will tell you, because we are, we're going to always be harder on ourselves and hold ourselves to accountable way more than anybody on the outside will ever hold our, our group. Um, we're, we're very honest with ourselves 
And um, after every game, we sit down and we go over moves that were made, um, whether they worked out or didn't. Did we like them? Are they sustainable? Um, and uh, we have that checklist and that feedback loop in May, June, July, games <laughs> that are um, all important but not playoff games, right? So we, it's no different in the playoffs. We sit there and we, we think about different moves that we could have made different. Um, the reality is we try to put our guys in the best position to have success. And uh, at times, of course, and at times it doesn't. And um, it didn't work. Uh, that's the bottom line. I felt like we gave ourselves a shot in both games. And the reality is the offense did go cold at the wrong time. And, and uh, we were having trouble even uh, the month of September leading into the playoffs. We had a lot of trouble just scoring runs and, and just um, it didn't look the same as it did in the previous months. But that's baseball, and uh, you're wanting to get hot at the right time. Unfortunately, we weren't able to. Ali, you've been in that position before as a player, and now in the manager side of things, even when you were the bench coach with the Cardinals, you've been in that position where you've seen guys who have been hot all season long with offense, and when they go cold, now that you're in that manager's seat, is there anything you can do when players go cold like that, or is it just a matter of waiting until they can grind through it? No, and, and someone that tells you that they do have an answer for that, I, I'd love to hear it because it's it's just not reality. Um, players go in and out of feeling good about their swing, and they go in and out of feeling good mentally. Um, and one usually is tied to the other. And here's the thing. People want to place blame on, oh, well, Goldie and Nolan, these guys didn't, didn't hit during the – that's – that's it's completely unfair and here's why the only reason we won 93 games is because all those guys contributed at an extremely high level every day without off days and just continuing to grind to get us to the position where we built a sizable lead over milwaukee and were able to clinch division and guess what they're, they're, baseball's tough and and there's times where you don't feel good about your swing and, and that was uh that was october for us and um there were several guys in that bucket that didn't feel great. Several guys did. Um, but no, there, there's not something you can sit there and tell a player that's going to just jumpstart them to, to start hitting for, for some reason. Um, it's just, it's part of the game, man. Ollie, for most of the season, and then by the end of the year, you look at the numbers, you guys had a top five offense in baseball. So it's not as if, like, what happened at the end of the year was a sustained issue the entirety of the season. However, I think there were 15 shutouts this year against you guys. Out of curiosity, as you go into the offseason, is there something, an element that was missing in your offense this year that you would like to add going into next year? And if not, what do you think was, if there was any, the through line with the 15 shutouts this year? Um, I, I don't, um, let me word this right. I, I really don't care about the 15 shutouts, right? Like it, it's not like, that's not a stat that's meaningful to me. Um, and it may be to other people, but the reality is like, if you tell me we're going to win 90 plus games and have 15 shutouts, then it is what it is. You're going to have days where you're cold. There's going to be, I mean, I remember having a conversation early in the year. Oh, it's feast or famine. Well, you look at some of the top offenses out there that that's what they do. Um, so I'm not too concerned with that. The reality is our young dudes step up and, and contributed extremely well. If you think about Donovan, and his ability to carry us for a portion of that year and just step in, no fear, uh, didn't make the, the moment any bigger than it was, and just, like, 
I mean, he really contributed at a high level. Um, Carlson did that for a little while. You got Newport did that for a minute. I mean, you go down that list and these young guys came up and they did a really nice job to allow us to do what we did. So when you think about, yeah, we, I mean, at short, there was a, there was a void there that we were counted on early in the year and it was hard to get, get Paul going. Um, and then we were missing our catcher for a little bit of time. So that, that, that made it tough. But at the end of the day, I felt like guys contributed at a high level to allow us to get to that 93 wins. Um, so definitely proud of the group for that. And Ali, that's an emphasis that I know the Cardinals organization puts on is the young players coming and being a contributing factor to the team. What did you learn about your younger players, specifically rookies like Brennan Donovan and Lars Newtbar and Nolan Gorman this season? Um, they don't scare. That's a great trait in a young player when they don't scare. When you when you look at our minor league system, and I spent some time in it as a player and as a coach and as a manager, you're always trying to build these guys up with the mentality that once you get there, don't change anything and just trust your stuff. You, it, it's a bigger stage. The accountability is higher, but just trust what you put all the work into. And uh, credit to our minor league system for continuing to do that because that's what those guys did. They got up here, didn't make the moment any bigger than it was. And they just trusted all the work that they've put in, um, and it showed. So I learned a lot about those young guys that came up. I mean, you talk about the different roles that we use, Andre Pallante and uh, Newbar, Donovan. You go down that list, there's there's a lot of young guys that Yepes, that contributed really, really well. So um, the one trait that they all had when they came up is they just didn't scare, and that's a good one to have. We're talking to Ollie Marmel, the Cardinals manager, for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for giving us some of his time so quickly after the season came to an end for the Cardinals. Uh, Ollie, I did want to ask you, one of the rule changes that we're expecting going into next year is the elimination of the shift, or at least uh, the elimination of the infield shift. Do you think that that will alter the way that teams look at the players that they could use at at second base in particular like it does that change the criteria are you going to be looking for somebody maybe not just the cardinals but baseball in general big picture do you think teams are going to be wanting more athleticism at that position because of the elimination of the infield shift i think that's a great point and my my gut says yes um having the agility to in range um at that position may have more value than it has over the last several years where you can just plot somebody out there in the shift and they don't have to move a whole lot. Um, but uh, I do think you're going to want a little bit more agility and, and overall uh, range in that position, uh, similar to what it was prior to. But at the at the end of the day, a lot of teams are, are going straight offense. And as long as you can bang it, um, they'll find a position for you. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how different teams attack that. Uh, Ali, since we're talking about the rule changes, how much impact do you feel like the pitch clock is going to have next season? I think it'll, I think it'll have a pretty big impact, man. When we look at what it's done in the minor league system, it's it's really sped those games up. When we get guys from our minor league system up here, you can tell a big difference in just their overall cadence. And I mean, it, there's a there's a pace to the game that's that's very different. Um, I know when we sent guys down like uh, Dakota Hudson this year, um, we noticed man, there, there's a difference in his pace for sure, um, and it becomes habit. So uh, I think it's something that will definitely speed the game up. There's certain guys that are going to – our geos of the world are going to have to um, adapt to it, but uh, that's what this game's about. you got to adapt or you die. 
Ollie, if we talked about swing and miss stuff once this year, we <laughs> talked about it a million different times. As we go into the off season now, and you think about, I know that Mo's in charge of this stuff, but as you're thinking through of, hey, what what could the Cardinals use going into the off season? The Cardinals were 30th out of 30 teams this year in swing and miss uh, in Major League Baseball. Is that something you think will potentially be a priority for the staff as they go into the offseason? There's different ways to look at that. And to your point, that's a, that's definitely a mo question. Um, but here, here's how I'll attack it. You, we were 30th out of 30 and just overall swing and miss, um, which if you look at the teams that are in the bottom five, none of them came close to doing what our club did, which uh, a lot of credit to our staff and players. Uh, our players were being pretty darn good at what they do in our staff from uh, Willie McGee and uh, Stubby from a positioning standpoint because we did have a lot of balls in play and we recorded a lot of outs. We were behind the baseball quite a bit. So when you don't have swing and miss stuff, you're usually not winning a whole lot of ball games. Our club was able to do that. So it, it's filling in the right pieces. Um, do I love swing and miss? Absolutely. When you don't put a ball in play, it's a beautiful thing. But, uh, but yeah, we've, we've gotten the right guys that aren't walking guys that are on the ground, and we have a really good defense. So because of our ballpark and our defense, you can get away with a lot more, and that's a, that's a value too. Ollie, one of those guys that did pretty well for the vast majority of the season without having a ton of swing and miss was Adam Wainwright. And right now he's going into the offseason uh, with an uncertain future. We don't know on the outside what it holds for him. From your perspective, especially, I, I don't know if you saw, but he tweeted out the other day what he believes ended up happening, which is that the, the comebacker hit him on the knee. It messed with his landing spot, and uh, that got him all out of whack mechanically. Did you feel like you guys had a fix for that going into the wild card round? And it, just from your perspective, if he was back next year, is your assessment that he would be back to the guy that he was prior to the last five or six weeks of the season? Uh, yes and yes. Um, it's tough to test it out in a winner-go-home type of scenario. But what I will say is there's only so much you can you can publicly discuss while, while you're going through something with, with one of the, the guys on the club. Um, I, I did see what he tweeted out, and the, he was spot on. And this is something we were addressing. And his last session was a very good one and one that he felt like was as crisp as ever. Um, so what would I expect out of Adam Wainwright? Um, if you were to come back for next year is exactly what we saw all year, um, prior to him getting hit in the knee. Um, I think we would see a very good version of him. This is an ultra competitor. And the reality is, man, we've done a really nice job of re-signing those type of players that continue to pour into the culture and it gets carried on for a long time. And we've seen it with the, uh, with the Chris Carpenters of the world and now with Albert and Yachty being gone, this is this is a, a piece that will be extremely helpful and um, one we look forward to. So we'll see what happens. Ali, final one for me. And speaking of that culture, you know, there are two massive holes this offseason for the team, and I understand this is John Mozalak's job, but from a clubhouse's perspective, not having Yachty back, not having Albert Pujols back, both who were very influential on this team, uh, do you feel like that's a, that's a big-time hold for this upcoming season? No, I don't, and I can say that with confidence for, for this reason. You're, those guys were good leaders. Uh, the ones before them were good leaders. A good leader is able to leave, and everything continued to run as if they were still there. And if you're a bad leader, then 
then you, once you're gone, it just falls apart. And that's not what this organization has built over the years. Those two guys have instilled a lot of confidence in um, the overall mentality of winning into that younger generation that's coming up. Um, and I'll tell you, we're in, we're in good hands. Those guys led well. And the guys that are going to take over will lead well for a long time coming. Ollie, final question that I have for you. When you look back at the job that you had this year, I think one of the toughest parts that people don't talk about, about being the manager of a team, but specifically here in St. Louis, is how much this fan base pays attention to every decision and every quote that you make and the amount of time that you spend talking to the media, but really talking to the fans. When you look back at that part of your job this year and specifically some of the decisions that you had to make that were more numbers driven, how do you feel like that went for you this year? And is there anything that you want Cardinals fans to know about what influences your decision and, and what that process is like for you as you're in the dugout throughout a game? No doubt. And if you want to ask more specifics, I'd be more than happy to answer it. Um, on a general side, we, we sit down every day, uh, Skip and myself, and we game plan the day, and we script out best case scenario all the way to worst case scenario of the game how we would use our pieces uh from our bench guys to our bullpen to how we want to use our starter and that's not only going into that day but how many days of rest he's coming off of it going into and then we bring in our other coaches um for a secondary meeting and we go through that with them and let them challenge any thoughts that we had and then we uh we go and play and obviously we get a ton of information from our baseball development department our analytics department um, that goes into the, the day-to-day decisions of how we use our guys. And then at the end of that game, um, decompress. Next morning we get in and we, we challenge each other on every decision that was made. If we like the decision, there's times you make a bad decision and it works out. And there's times you make a good decision and it doesn't work out. So you, you can't be fooled by the fact that like something, the result was good. Uh, there's times you make a very crappy decision and your players are just good enough to overcome that decision. And you have to know when that happens in order not to repeat it. So we sit in a room and we challenge ourselves on what we did well, what we didn't. And that includes some of our baseball development department. And um, at the end of the day, we walk out of there feeling a lot more confident in what we're doing and how to make sustainable decisions. Um, and we do that every day. So the decisions that are being made on that field are 100%. I'm accountable for them. Um, I have final call on what goes on and what doesn't from a player move to a bullpen move to any, any move on that field. Um, and it either works or it doesn't. But uh, I'll tell you, there's no one on the outside that's going to challenge me more than my internal team. And uh, I, I, I love that part of it. You said the dirty word. Ollie of analytics and when anybody says that on the air it just there's there's a certain segment of our listenership I'm sure you're aware of this as much as anybody that just tunes out whatever comes next for our list for our listeners that are listening right now when you say the term analytics let's think of like one decision you can go with whatever it might be a pitching decision a matchup decision where you decide to use a pinch hitter what are you taking into account with that? What, when you say analytics, what is the actual information in one scenario, for example, for you that you would be looking at? Well, no, you just said it, right? Like, it's information. So the people that are tuning out need to understand that, like, the more information you have, the better decisions you make. Um, I can sit in a room with anybody and talk about, oh, going off your gut compared to analytics. It's not one or the other. Like, we are dealing with humans. 
okay, that that have emotions and fear and doubt and anxiety, and you know the ins and outs of everything they're dealing with. You are constantly dealing with humans. That's who these players are. But then there's information, analytics, substitute the word analytics with information, if it makes you feel better. There's information that tells you what has happened over time and predicting what's going to happen. Um, and it helps inform decisions. Um, that's fine if you want to trust your gut constantly, but the reality is there's nobody out there that's that good. I don't care, like, I don't care what name you want to insert into that blank. They're not that good. So when you are constantly challenging the decisions that are made based on, hey, I had this feeling and it worked out this way. Here's what the information says. And you're constantly going back and forth and challenging that internally with your group. Um, it leads to better decisions down the road. So we have a process that we trust for that. Um, I can, if there's one part of the job that has a negative to it, when people say like, oh, you have to deal with the media, like the media is our mouthpiece of the fan base. Like that is probably one of my favorite parts of the job is sitting down with our media after a game, before the game, and just them asking me, why'd you make this decision? What, what went into this? Why'd you use this guy? Why didn't you use this guy? Because the reality is, they're challenging the at the end of the day they're not challenging the result uh that's when i'll get frustrated if you're just challenging the result then then we're wasting our time if you're challenging the reasoning and the logic behind the decision i could talk about that for days there's times it works there's times it doesn't um but yes that's a that's an area i can i can sit on here and talk to you for days about and you know I can do the same. Ollie, I appreciate the time as always, man. This has been awesome. Enjoy the time that you have to be able to spend at home with the three and the five-year-old that you've got at home, <laughs> the wife that I'm sure doesn't get to see you enough during the regular season. We wish you all the best. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as this offseason keeps going. Nah, you got it, man. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy Absolutely. those girls, Ali. That's Ollie Marmel, Cardinals manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for giving us a little bit of time this afternoon. Again, we are broadcasting live out here at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. We are doing so thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and the Illinois South Tourism. Lot to get into. We will break that down coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Coming up next, Jim Campbell, former Blues forward, is going to stop by. 1996 All-Star, 97 All-Rookie team. He'll give us his thoughts as we head into the Blues season live from Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from Coppervire in Belleville, Illinois, thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and Illinois South Tourism. If you can make it out here before 6 o'clock, you will see either us broadcasting until 2 o'clock or the fast lane. They'll be out here from 2 to 6. we got a bunch of giveaways for you, uh, including a Ryan O'Reilly jersey, some signed pucks. You can potentially win some tickets to tomorrow's home opener. We've got it all for you out at Copperfire in Belleville, Illinois, including Jim Campbell, the former Blues forward, 1996 <laughs> NHL We got, a we got the soupy chance. Is that my 97 mom? all-rookie team. <laughs> Jim, huge thanks for coming out, joining us out here at Copperfire today. How you doing, my friend? Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So let, let's start a little big picture. Your, your big picture thoughts on the 2022 St. Louis Blues are what? 
I think anything's possible. I think uh, Cairo, Thomas, big contract, contracts coming down. It could be really interesting. The lineup looks great. Uh, if Bennington can keep rolling and get going, I think we'll be a contender. So, so Jim, I, I got to ask you about Jake Neighbors because you've been a rookie in the National Hockey League. You know how difficult that is. You were third in voting, I believe, that Calder Trophy year when you uh, were in the running for the rookie. When you're a player like Jake Neighbors, who played in juniors last year, you make the NHL roster, you have the option to go to the AHL, but they stick with you to play in their top nine. How difficult is that? It's exciting. I mean, that's what you play for your whole career, starting as a little kid and going up the ranks and the juniors. I think if he gets out to a good start, that kid could have a career year and maybe be up for rookie of the year. It's all about um, getting some confidence. You know, you get out there, you've always dreamed to play in the NHL and you're maybe jittery or something, but if he can settle in and play his game, I think he could be a really great player. We're talking to Jim Campbell here on 101 ESPN. Jim, when you look at some of the young guys, you mentioned both Thomas and Kairou potentially having that breakout season this year. Do those guys remind you of anybody from the time when you played in the league? Are their, their skill sets, the way that they play, are there any players that you remember that they remind you of? Um, I think of Thomas, and I think like we were just talking about him off the air there, he's such a good passer. He looks like Stevie Eiserman sometimes when he pivots and stuff and, and looks to make the pass. Um, so that's who I would compare him to for sure. Kairou is so fast, like maybe a young Jeremy Roenick. Remember when he used to fly around? Oh, yeah. The Sega 97 he used to fly. In the- <laughs> <laughs> he was like the ultimate windmill when you got that team, right? Exactly. So I think that's what Kairou looks like to me, too. And they're exciting to watch. And like I said, if they all get off to a good roll and a good start, and anything can happen. Uh, Jim, you, you played against Craig Gruby, so you know the type of player he was. You also saw that Stanley Cup championship team and how he got him to play that style of hockey. You're seeing the transition of this team now away from that physical style to a little bit more skill, also some physical play. But have you been impressed at how Craig Bruby has navigated those waters in the NHL of transitioning his coaching? Amazing. Chief done an amazing job with the players. I think he's a coaches, uh, player's coach, gets out there, connects with the guys, and guys respect him. I mean, he battled through the NHL. I don't know what his career fights were, but, I mean, he, <laughs> he went in every night and worked, and guys respect that. And like you said, uh, bring the Stanley Cup to St. Louis, it was awesome. I'm happy for him. When you look back at your career, one of the guys that you had the pleasure, I, I would say pl- maybe the honor of playing with, was Jamie Rivers, Boom. one of our colleagues here at 101 ESPN. Uh, you said it wrong, the Jamie yeah, Rivers. Yeah, the uh-huh. former Blue Superstar defenseman, in my words, uh, Jamie Rivers. Do you have a good Jamie Rivers story that is suitable for air that we could share today? No. Well, yeah, there's so many stories. Even we were roommates. Yeah, I was going to say, you you were roommates and Brett Hall were roommates, right? No, me and Ribs were roommates. Well, and then he had Brett Hall, yeah, too. Yeah, Hall, yeah. So um, we had a lot of stories. But one, we went to New York and we were shopping around one time. And it got so cold, we walked for like, walk, no, there were no cabs at one point. It was like a dead city. We walked around, and I think we almost froze to death for three hours walking in New York City with the wind tunnel. And it was like January. And we almost had a fight on the sidewalk because we couldn't find a cab or something. It was goofy. But there's a lot of good stories with riffs. Do you still skate with the alumni, Jim? I did. I just skated this did morning. You? So yeah. I just came from uh, Centene. We skate Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, which is awesome. A great group out there. And... Uh, we, it's the best way to stay in shape and have fun. How many of those guys still skate together that played for the Blues? 
I would say we have more guys that aren't blues players like policemen or firemen that yeah. skate with us, but I'd say there's about 10 guys wow. that still skate regularly. Andy McDonald's out there all the time. Barrett Jackman comes out a lot. Brownie's there here and there. Um, Larry Patey still skates. Larry and Patey. And you play kind of to your the rules of your decade. Like, Pate's <laughs> just slashing oh, and yikes. flicking. You know, it's less and then as you go, there's less hacking and skill, more skill and then as you get to the 90s. And But it's awesome to see those guys. I'll those never guys. forget, BK, I was, I, this was when I was working at KMOX when the Blues were on there at the time, and I went out to one of the skates. It was around the Christmas holiday season where they had the, the rink at Anheuser-Busch and you guys were out there. And Larry Patey was out there. And I mean, Larry Patey, this doesn't have like plexiglass like the usual rinks do it's just an outdoor rink larry patey is hip checking guys into the boards with no glass i'm like man this man does not take any shifts off does he he doesn't know it's all all time all full power and he <laughs> is so gritty and awesome guy like i'm lucky to have him still around in st yep. louis pates is awesome what is it about st louis as a former blues player that keeps guys here i think the fans i mean you've got the best fans in america here there's sports it's a sports city and the people in the Midwest are so nice. It keeps people here. It's awesome. Is there something about both having the fans and also being able to just kind of live a normal life here in St. Louis as well? For sure. I mean, <laughs> I think they know when they want to be kind of by yourself with your family. Sure. And they know when it's time for autographs and stuff. But I, like I said, the people of St. Louis have been so nice to me. I came here in 96 and it was... I'm from the East Coast, and you know what the East Coast people are like. like they're, <laughs> they're a little different. But St. Louis is so nice, and it's a great place to live, and I'm very happy to still be here. You didn't get the Mike Keenan era, did you? I did. So you got the, the tail end of the Mike Keenan era. I did, and I but I actually liked Keenan. Did you? Oh, yeah, really? so I was a rookie that year, and he gave me all kinds of ice time. And him he, him and Holly were kind of battling yeah. all the time. So he kind of used me. He would be like, okay, Soup, you take the power play. And it was Holly's power play, and I was like, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, but it was awesome. He gave me tons of ice time, and then... And I got some points, and it just kept rolling and kind of started my career off in the NHL. So I'm thankful for I that. I was going to say, that might be the only person I've ever heard, because we all know how much Jamie Rivers loves uh, Mike Keenan, I'm right? I'm few and far between, Yes. Sure. <laughs> so What is your awesome. favorite memory of playing with those teams? Because you guys had some characters. You played under Q as well, so you got to see the difference of coaching staffs, to say the least. What, what is maybe one of your favorite memories from that era of Blues hockey? Um, like you said, we had a lot of characters on the road and being in the locker room with Grant Fuhrer, Al McGinnis, Chris Pryor, Joe Murphy. I mean, there was a day we were in Madison Square Garden. I think we were going into overtime and Joe Murphy was on the team. And this, you know how Joe is now, but so, but back then it was, just, it's funny. We were going into overtime and he was like kind of lackadaisical. And Keenan was like, Joe, what are you doing? Let's go. He's like, Jojo, too tired. Jojo can't go <laughs> in overtime. <laughs> And I was just like a rookie, and I was sitting there thinking, like, is this really happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was that, there was a lot of characters on that team. 97 98 season, Jim Campbell, Soupy, seven goals in 10 playoff games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was on a roll. He was on a hot streak then. Is that the team? That's the team that Jamie always says should have won the cup, right? I think I agree. We yeah. swept the Kings in four. Mm -hmm. We lost to Detroit in six, and they went on to win back-to-back. -back that cups. was the Steve Eisenman shot, wasn't it? No, that was the year that before. That was the year before, okay. But they went on to win two cups after that. Yeah. So it was either going to be us it, or Detroit. It's so frustrating as a Blues fan when you, like, look at it because if it wasn't for Detroit and Colorado being powerhouses— the Blues probably have at least two Stanley Cups in that era. Agreed. I but totally Detroit agreed. and Colorado with no salary cap, it was just billed yeah. as much. I mean, freaking um, 
what's it? Luke Robitaille playing the third line with the Detroit Red Wings? Like, what and are if, we doing? If those two teams were in the Eastern Conference and you get to the finals every year, you know, anything can happen. Absolutely. But you meet those guys in the first and second round, it's just like they just squash you. Hey, Jim, this has been great, man. Thank you for coming out here. I know all of the fans out here at Copper Fire genuinely appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's a great, great time. restaurant. It looks up. awesome. Well, thank you for letting me go. i got to go meet Nathan Barnhart. I gotta, he's, he's oh, there we go. Shout out. Yeah. And then Brian Hagley's out on his excavator right now. So <laughs> he's, he's like, you better say something. I love That's it. That's fantastic. All right, guys. Thank Jim you. Campbell, Thanks, Jim. Former Blues forward, 96 NHL All-Star, 1997 All-Rookie Team. Huge thanks to him for joining us out here at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. Coming up next, we continue the hockey conversation with Mark Parrish, NHL Network Analyst, former NHL forward, another All-Star, going to join us to preview the Blue season here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Right now, we're happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to continue the hockey conversation as we are out here at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois for the Blues Season Preview Party. It's all thanks to our friends at Illinois Office of Tourism and Illinois South Tourism. Right now, we are happy to be joined by Mark Parrish, NHL Network Analyst, former NHL forward and all-star in 2002. Mark, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing really well. So l let's start out with this Central Division, which you get to see a good amount of as an analyst for the Minnesota Wild. Going into the season, what are you expecting out of this division? How do you see this thing shaking out? Uh, you know, I see a lot of similarities to last year. Uh, you know, the West, obviously with that Central Division starting there, you got Colorado. Uh, losing Kadri, which obviously is a big deal, much bigger loss than Darcy Kemper, in my opinion. I think even making the move for Kemper to Gorgiev has actually made them a little bit better. Losing Kadri is actually something that they can still absorb. They got so much talent still. Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Wren, and Landeskog. So they're still the cream of the crop when it comes to the West, especially the Central Division. After that, you know, I like the looks. You're going to see that St. Louis, Minnesota, Dallas, Nashville is going to get in there. But I think right now St. Louis is that clear number two. With Minnesota kind of got younger, they lose Fiala a little bit. Uh, you know, losing Talbot, they don't have that combination that, that they were expecting to have during the year. And St. Louis, I mean, coming back, the, you know, wrapping up Cairo coming back for long term. My Lord, that player, I, he is one of my absolute favorite players to watch in the NHL. He has got so much talent, so much confidence, just oozing out of him. That kid can play. You know, and you still got O'Reilly's, and, and, and no one in the NHL, no coach in the NHL really gets his team prepared for playoff hockey like Craig Burby. I'm such a huge fan of his and what he's able to do and get out of his players. Ryan O'Reilly's one of the premier captains in the game that, you know, he can go on and on. Thomas, uh, it, it's just a great team that knows how to win in the playoffs wants to win in the playoffs, and they gave the best team in the league a pretty good run for their money in the playoffs last year. Mark, with that being said, we've had the conversations on air a lot that this team, to me, feels about as deep as the Blues had since they won the Stanley Cup back in 2019. And I'm trying to prove to these other two here that I'm the hockey guy on that aspect. So prove me right, Mark. <laughs> Do you think that this Blues team has that depth that they had when they won the Cup? 
That's well, awfully close. I mean, minus uh, Perangelo, it, it's it's pretty much that team. And, and it looked like the only thing that, that the question mark is with the Blues is, is the goaltending. Can Bennington get back uh, to that goaltender? Can you guys find that solid netminder uh, to go along with the rest of the team? Because that's really the, the biggest question mark for, for everyone, for that matter, going into the playoffs. But no, I would. It would not be surprising at all. Just coming out here early, out to the network earlier this year, uh, you know, it's kind of Cal- when you talk about just coming out of the rest. Colorado, Calgary has gotten quite a bit better. Calgary's clear number two, and will probably be uh, the the team challenging Colorado for best in the West all year long. But St. Louis is right there behind him, and and it's just that one question mark, you know. And he's done it before, Bennington. He's won him a cup. Can the goaltending? Can they show up the goaltending situation to get them over the hump to be a legit Stanley Cup finalist and a contender? Mark, you've been around the NHL for a long time. You've seen a lot of different goalies that have come in and out of this league. So I'm curious your perspective on Jordan Bennington because the way that I look at him, and and this is not a knock on him at all, I think that he is a solid regular season goalie. I think he steps up his game to another level once you get into the playoffs, and that is why this team continues to stick with him and why they continue to believe in him. But I'm not sure he's among the best when it comes to what he does in the regular season. Have you seen other goalies that are that kind of a player where regular season, eh, it's fine, it's okay, league average maybe, but then they find a way to step up their game in the postseason? Oh, uh, you know, it's trying to think of one offhand in the past. Um, uh, geez, uh, without seeing anybody's numbers, but you know there there are goalies. Uh, the the one thing I look about with Jordan Bonington is is he still young enough as a goaltender? He's proven that he can do it, and and consistency is something that every young player, whether you're a goaltender, whether you're winger, forward, centerman, no matter who it is, you're a young player. You're gonna go through bumps and bruises. It takes you know they say like you're four or five. That's when like all right, you should kind of have it figured out. Well, goaltending, they're gonna give even more time for that to figure out that consistency. And that is the hardest part, the consistency of the 82-game season. If he's already got, one, the ability to win a Stanley Cup, because he has, and two, he's shown that he can turn it on in the playoffs. I mean, those are the biggest questions I've asked. Like, well, okay, he's stepped it up in the playoffs. Is he, has he done it every year? Well, no. Does every player do it every year? No. But he's shown he can do it, and so he's got that sitting in the back of his head. And for a young goaltender... Maybe, yeah, struggling with the consistency of the regular season now to just be able to turn it on in the playoffs. In all honesty, to me, that's not really that big of a deal, especially nowadays when when teams, you know, meeting with, you know, in Minnesota, meeting with Craig Leopold, the owner, the home ice, you know, the president's trophy is kind of like, yeah, yeah, great. We get to hang a banner and that's really cool. But it's gearing up for the playoffs. Nobody really cares even about home ice. They're like, yeah, they want it because the ticket sales and yeah, it's nice to be home for another game. But has it really mattered in the NHL in the playoffs that recently? It's not really something that's talked about. So, therefore, if you look at it that way, the regular season really isn't quite as important as the playoffs, which it shouldn't be. So, who cares? (laughs) But I think he's young enough that he's still going to get that. He is going to figure out that consistency of the regular season, and he's still got time, and he's certainly not a goaltender. When you've got a Stanley Cup on your resume at his age that you want to let go of because they are so hard to find. Well, unless you're Nashville, Mark, right? Then they put banners up for winning the division or coming in third place. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to hang something up there. If they're empty. <laughs> uh, Mark, I did want to ask you about the defense for St. Louis because at the beginning of last season, uh, it was kind of skeptical of how it was going to look because they didn't have that fourth guy to play in their top four. They acquired Nick Letty at the trade deadline. He comes in as a really good asset, and then he re-signs with the team. How do you view this defensive core for St. Louis going into the season? Good puck moving D, mobile defense. Uh, you know, I, I like that they come with attitude. You bring Nick Letty, you bring that veteran savvy poise that still has wheels like an 18 year old, uh, won a Stanley Cup. So he's got that whole resume to bring along with him. Uh, I think it's a great sign when you see a guy like that come in and instantly sign long term because that's a guy that's been there, done that, and he sees something that can get him another cup at the tail end of his career. So that's a great sign for it, too. And, I, I mean, I really like that top four. That, that's, you look at that central division, you know, maybe, you know, Colorado's right there, Calgary's, uh, I don't know, Calgary's in the Pacific, excuse me. But, uh, I mean, that's a good, solid top four. I mean, you know, Krug, Falk, I mean, they, these guys can play hockey and they've won cups. They've been around, they're competitive. Uh, they've got that, and, and the, the ability of, you look at it, maybe they're not the biggest and strongest, but, but then you go back to, to, to Coach Berube. Coach Chief, he is just, he gets the best out of his guys, and he brings this tenastiness excuse me, uh, to the game, to his team during the regular season, that they are so prepared for that, that physicality and that bite in the postseason that, that it's that attitude. So you're not really worried about their size because of the way they play. Final question that I've got for Mark Parrish, former NHL forward, now with the NHL Network. You can watch him on NHL Network on On the Fly tonight at 9 o'clock Central. Plus, he can be seen on NHL tonight throughout the NHL season. I'm going to ask you a tough question here, Mark. It's going to be a bold prediction one way or the other. I understand that the, the likelihood is neither of these two things happen. But between these two, which one do you think is more likely? Robert Thomas okay. finishes the year with 100 points on the season. He was at 77 last year in 72 games. Or Jordan Cairo okay. finishes the year with 40 or more goals. He had 27 last year in 74 games. Which one's more likely? Thomas, 100 points. Cairo, 40 goals. Oh, I got to go Cairo, 40 goals. Uh, man, 100 points, that's, that's a monster season, and that's a big jump. Robert Thomas, I love Robert Thomas. He's another one of those players that I just love that St. Louis has. He's going to get better and better. I will not be shocked if he gets to be a 100-point guy. But Cairo with the 40 goals, to me, sounds like that could happen. Mark, appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We'll be watching you over on NHL Network, and we'll be talking with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex Brandon. I appreciate it, guys. Good luck this year, Blues. Thanks, Absolutely. Mark. Same to you. That's Mark Parrish joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, you can find him on NHL Network. Well, he'll be on On the Fly tonight at 9 o'clock. Plus, he can be seen on NHL tonight throughout the NHL season. Which one of those would you go with, Alex? If you had to say one or the other, more likely Thomas 100 points or Kyra 40 goals, which way would you lean? I would go Thomas 100 points because of him playing with a guy who's going into unrestricted free agency and Pavel Buchnevich, who had 70-plus points last season. And on top of it, he's going to be playing on that number one power play unit with Tori Krug as the point man. I would say Robert Thomas with 100 points.
I think I would lean towards the Jordan Cairo 40 goals because I, I think Thomas is going to have to get to, as we talked earlier, around that 30-goal mark. And, look, I think he's got the shot to do it, but I'm still not convinced he's going to become a guy that's going to shoot the puck more often. I think he's going to consider himself more as a playmaker, so he's going to dish out the assist. I think he falls short of that 100-point mark because he doesn't get to the goals. But I think Cairo, if everything clicks and he plays a full season this year, and when I say play a full season, doesn't go through like the second-half lull, which we saw last year, I think he has every opportunity to potentially have one of those big outburst seasons where he scores 40-plus goals. I think that it is actually Kairou as well. My one concern with saying that it's Kairou, though, is the line that he's playing on. I think it is going to be a much more defensive-minded line if he's going to be with Ryan O'Reilly throughout the NHL season. That could mean a whole lot of defensive zone starts. And on it the just, second power play unit. It, it just changes things a little bit in terms of his opportunities to score. That would be my concern. I have also stated, though, that I think Kairou will eventually be moved off of that line, not because he's not performing or anything, but just because I think they're going to potentially be looking for something else on that right wing. Maybe it's Tarasenko that bumps up. Maybe you end up seeing uh, Braden Shin move up to that line, something of that sort. And I think Kairou eventually plays with uh, Robert Thomas potentially on that other line. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Huge thanks to uh, Jim Campbell for joining us earlier today. If you missed any of our conversation with him, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We've been spending the day at Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. Huge thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and Illinois South Tourism for making that possible. Coming up next... Do the Cardinals need to add an impact bat in order to be a 100-win team next year? We'll give you the explanation that one beat writer had as to why he said yes next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And even if Dylan Carlson does get back on track, is he a guy who complements an offense or is he a guy who carries an offense? What the, what the Cardinals need is they need an outfielder who's going to like go, hey, Paul, hey, Nolan, let me sidle up beside you and get into this same conversation. That's what other teams have that are contending, and they just did not. And where do they find that guy? That's the question the Cardinals are asking themselves going into the offseason. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Derek Gould on the best podcast in baseball. Well worth your time. Check it out on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. We are broadcasting live from Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. The two sponsors that are involved with this are Illinois Office of Tourism and Illinois South Tourism. Huge thanks to them for making it possible. We'll be out here until 2 o'clock. Fastlane takes over then. They'll be here until 6. Be sure to come on out. Be uh, enter to win potential prizes, including a Ryan O'Reilly jersey and some signed pucks. We just gave away a pair of tickets to see tomorrow night's home opener at the Blues or for the Blues against the Blue Jackets. Let's get into. This. I agree with Derek Gould. I, I've received a lot of pushback on this, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised by it. The Cardinals have options in the outfield. I would not disagree with that at all. You look at what they had this year. They've got like six or seven guys that can play in the outfield. And you can make a case for any of them as being an impact bat for the Cardinals next year. My problem is I can just as easily make a case as to why they will not be an impact bat for the Cardinals next year. I want some certainty in the outfield. When you look at the teams that are the best in baseball right now, all of them have somebody out there that they can look at and say, that's our dude. 
He's going to get. He's going to be a big time contributor, and we know it because we can look at the back of the baseball card, or we could go to his baseball reference page, and there's consistency. The Cardinals have that with Nolan Arenado. They have it with Paul Goldschmidt. They don't have it anywhere in the outfield right now. So for me, how do the Cardinals get to where the Braves, Dodgers, Mets, and Padres are now, and where two of those teams will be starting next week? They do so by acquiring an outfielder via trade or free agency that can get them into the same kind of category as these teams where they have that third bat that is consistent, that is producing from the outfield. Outfield would be ideal, but that's why I've brought up the shortstop position also because that's an impact bat there. And I just have a different definition of an impact bat. Yeah, sure, Dylan Carlson could be an impact bat. So could Juan Yepes. So could Nolan Gorman. So but, could Jordan Walker. But maybe. the definition of impact bat to me isn't somebody who could be. It is somebody who is an impact bat. I already know Goldschmidt are not our impact bats. I need the third guy that I know every single game. He's my impact bat. And then the rest, the rest are complimentary pieces. You know how you win a World Series? You have legit dudes, and then you have the complimentary pieces that nobody expected to be a part of it. The Atlanta Braves, a perfect example. You knew that Chapman, you knew that Acuna, you knew that Swanson were going to be Riley. dudes. You didn't know Mitch Harris was going to be a dude for this team. Mitch Harris is what you hope a Nolan Gorman or a Jordan Walker can be. But you got to go get Michael. that third dude. What? I thought it was Mitch. No, Mitch was the pitcher for the Cardinals. Sorry, man. Cardinals wow. on the brain 24-7. I, it's, it's a problem. I, I think they do need that bat in the Mitch. outfield. It's Mitch. I, I think they need that bat in the outfield, but that's where I think some of that pushback comes is from... Well, Who the is only, that bat? Who is that bat? It's Who's not that available bat? other because, than Judge. Exactly, because I think Brandon Nimmo is the guy that complements this offense really well. He can hit in that two-hole, maybe hits leadoff. Or honestly, he could be a really solid number five hitter for you that hits for average. He'd be kind of like what Donovan was in the playoffs in their lineup, where he's not really a power. He's got some power, more power than Donovan, but he's going to be a guy that hits for average, can get on base in that number five spot, and hopefully drive in Goldie and Arnato when they're on. That's why I think he makes the, all the sense in the world, but I think that's why there's that pushback, because when I say Brandon Nimmo, Honestly, even I will, I'll say it, not really an impact bat, not what, not what my definition of an impact bat is. My definition of impact bat is basically what Alex is saying in terms of guys with some power and can play shortstop. That's why you look at the shortstop market so often. But I, I, I don't see the Cardinals playing in that market. I think if they were going to play in that market last year, they would have done it. Or if but they were going to play in that market, guys. it would have been last year. But it's the same guys, with the exception of not Corey Seager, but now Trey Turner's in this market instead of Corey Seager. It's still Correa. It's still uh, Xander Bogarts. It's still Dansby Swanson. Like, you still have those. Carlos Correa. Would you guys consider early career Matt Carpenter to be an impact bat? I'm talking 2012 to 2016. This is before he had the career renaissance as a 25-plus home run guy. Early in his career, 2012 to 2014 in particular, 6, 11, 8 home runs, but he was hitting all of the doubles. He was getting on base at a 37 to 40% clip. Would you have considered at the time that version of Matt Carpenter to be an impact bat? Yeah, I think so. He was a reason that they were winning in that frame. I think I would consider him an impact. He'd be like the complimentary impact bat you're looking for, that like third guy. Yeah, so I guess I would say he, he is. He was, in that time, about 25 to 40% above league average, depending on the season. That's Brandon Nimmo. Like, what you used to have with Carpenter before the home run power really developed, that's who Brandon Nimmo has been when he's been healthy in his career. So the reason why I bring him up as potentially being that third guy is, A, because there aren't a whole lot of impact bats that are available in the outfield this offseason. It's basically Aaron Judge and then Brandon Nimmo as Tier 2 and then a huge tier break, and it's a couple of injured dudes like Michael Conforto, for example, and then a bunch of guys that have proven to just be fine. 
in their careers. So if you want a quote-unquote impact bat, you're either going to Aaron Judge, who we would all agree is that guy, or you can argue on the Brandon Nimmo side of things that he is, or you're going to the trade route for outfielders, and we just don't know who's available in that market just yet, so that's why we haven't really discussed it so much. I think Brandon Nimmo is a legit impact bat. But this is where I also think it becomes a discussion of what you brought up, Alex. Okay, then if the market is light on outfielders and you want to get an impact bat, do you just say, you know what, let's go ahead and bite the bullet and get that shortstop then? We've been kind of beating around the bush here with a shortstop position for, I mean, basically the last 20 years. They've had fillers that have just played the position. They got Johnny Peralta, who was pretty good for them for a while, but they've never really gone for it with a legit superstar shortstop basically since the Aussie era. And so if you look at where this team is right now, if I can make an argument where none of us will question whether or not it's an impact bat, it ain't hard to see where that comes from because even if you brought up Wilson Contreras, Alex, I think I could argue that Brandon Nimmo is as much if not more of an impact bat for this team than Wilson Contreras would be, just talking purely from an offensive perspective. So if you want to get that third dude, there's a place where it comes from. The problem is you're going to be paying $30 million a year to do it, and I just don't know if this team's going to be willing to, but then it becomes a question of should they? Or should they versus will they? Make the trade. And I understand you don't know who's out there, but guess what? You've got a top 10, top 15 farm system right now. With the exception of one guy that I think all of us can agree is not going anywhere in Jordan Walker, make a trade. You've, you've built up your farm system enough that you can sit here and say, like, we've got a... We've got a crop of young players that are going to be major league assets for us. Great. Make a trade then because you got a lot of guys who play a lot of positions that you're not going to be able to fill that void with. Look at what we're talking about right now with Nolan Gorman not being a second baseman. Mason Wynn playing shortstop for you. Tommy Edmond becomes your second baseman. you got two outfielders that can't play the outfield that are DHs for you. You've got a ton of pitchers right now, and you don't have spots in your rotation because you can't bring back the guy that just started game one in the, NL, or in the wild card for you. Make a trade. Go get that third impact bat and fix the outfield because I'm not sold on Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo, to me, is Dexter Fowler 2.0. I'm not going to sign up for four years of complaining in years two, three, and four of why did they sign this contract. I agree. I think it has the risk factor becoming the Dexter Fowler deal, but I think at the time with the Fowler deal, it made sense at that time as well. Maybe not so much the aspect of playing him in center field because he wasn't very good defensively as what Nimmo is, but one thing I am curious to see in this offseason, talking about this farm system, I'm fascinated to know what they decide to do because they've got seven top 100 prospects. And when was the last time that, A, a team had seven, seven top 100 prospects, but B, all seven ended up being legitimate dudes? Every like, year for the Dodgers? I, I, well, <laughs> that's fair. Every year right now for the Braves? Yes, but, but it doesn't happen often. So at some point you're going to miss on one of these guys, but the question is can you utilize them as the asset that they are and move on from them in time before they start to decrease in value, like Matthew Libertor's example. I think his value has come down quite a bit. Nolan Gordon, we were talking about this, I think, yesterday. His value is still high up on the charts, probably, of some executives. So I'm interested to know what they decide to do, because if you don't want to go fill a void in the outfield with the free agent signings, because you don't think that Nimmo's an impact bat, and let's be honest, you're not going to be in on Judge. If you don't think Nimmo's that guy, you're probably not really signing anybody in that outfield court to be that quote-unquote infield bat. Then do you decide to use some of these assets that you have in your top 100 or just in your farm system as a whole and go acquire somebody that's going to be on the trade market? Somebody's going to tear down this offseason. Who it is, we don't know. And they probably have at least one outfielder that you can look at and say, hey, he would look really good in a Cardinals uniform playing left center or right for us. The Cardinals have options. The question is where they're going to turn 
in order to utilize those resources? And is the resource that they use money or prospects capital? Because they got both. The Cardinals are in prime position this offseason with a team that has two corner infielders that are in their prime, money to spend, prospects to trade, and a team that is very clearly on the cusp. All of us could have made the argument coming into the postseason the Cardinals could go on a run. It felt a little bit short, but they could go on a run. Now you bring back something resembling the same team. Obviously, no Albert, no Yachty. Those are big losses. you got to find a way to replace them. But something resembling the same team, and you got the resources to add to it. Now you got to go do it. This has to be an offseason. I think you mentioned this yesterday, Alex, where the Cardinals get uncomfortable. And I think that this is the offseason where they should actually do it. Whether that means making a big-time trade different than the Goldie Arenado deals, where you're actually giving up real talent, like a Marcelo Zuna type of a trade. Hopefully this one ends a little differently, of course. Or a Matt Holiday type of a trade. A big deal. That's the kind of thing that they need to make this offseason. Or go ahead and dive into those waters that we've been talking about for a year and a half now and get one of the stud shortstops. That's what you got to do. Open up the wallet. Coming Amen. up next, we'll play a game of one's got to go. 65780 is the comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go to finish things up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. I'm not going to do it. Here's, here's my reasoning behind it, guys. I've learned that remotes don't go with the music. And I think uh, it's disappointing point. for good the point. listeners for me to be off the song. So that's why I've chosen not to do it anymore. Respect my decision and please uh, respect my family's privacy. 65780 is <laughs> comfort service text line. Four, one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. We are broadcasting live for just another 10 minutes or so. From Copper Fire, Belleville, Illinois. Thanks to Illinois Office of Tourism and the Illinois South Tourism. If you guys can make it out, highly recommend you do so. It is a fantastic spot. If you want to watch some baseball playoffs, you can do that out here. Grab yourself an alcoholic slushy. What more could you ask for, honestly, on a Friday afternoon, getting prepared for the blue season? It's like DMX, it's a party up in here. Let's get into One's Gotta Go. Tanner didn't know <laughs> that reference. T-Bone doesn't get that reference. One's Gotta no, Go, Cardinals like Outfield <laughs> Edition. <laughs> didn't work. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, Juan Yepes. I find this to be easy. Tyler O'Neill. No, it's Juan Yepes. He's not an outfielder. He's a DH. Yeah, well, at least he's available. Hey, man. And you might have hit. Tyler O'Neill next season because you're going to go spend the money on Carlos Correa or Trey Turner. Juan Yepes, he's a DH. He's not an outfielder. I'm saying, I'm saying, Bro Neal. Bro Neal can't stay healthy, and it's just too inconsistent. These guys are giving away an MVP. Randy Arozarena, 2.0. He does it once every five years. It's fine. It's like, it's like a it's like solar the, eclipse. No, it's like the cicadas. Just trade Tyler O'Neill for Randy Arozarena. There we go. No, Randy Arozarena has uh, lost his pizzazz. Has he? It's like 30 percent above league average offense. Oh, has he? This year. How's he Tampa Bay good. doing in the playoffs? Okay. 65780 is your comfort service text line. One's got to go. Blues edition, Alex. Pavel Buchnevich, Robert Thomas, Justin Falk, or Jordan Cairo. This is a... I'm going to go neither. Tough one for Alex Ferrario. No, because I got a got a 100-point player. I got... 40-goal scorer. 40-goal scorer. And Norris Trophy winner. And then another 35-40-goal to 40 goal scorer. My goodness. Um, I'm going to get rid of... 
Jordan Cairo. Justin Falk would be my answer on this. Why would you get rid of the Blues' second-best defenseman? Age. It's a cruel number. Age is only <laughs> a number. I mean, it's only a number. I, I yeah, because defensemen struggle once they hit the age of 31. I've heard that. <laughs> I, I don't know what the future looks like for Justin Falk. I think he's going to be really good, but I think that Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kairou have superstar potential. I don't view a, a Justin Falk as having the same potential, so I would get rid of Justin Falk. I'm with BK. I, I think the other three have more upside than what Justin Falk has. I think you know what Justin Falk is, and I think he's reached his ceiling. I don't think there's anywhere else for him to go, and that's not saying it's a bad thing, but when I look at those other three, I think there's more upside to potentially their game, so I'd say Justin Falk's got to go. 65780 is your comfort service text line. One's got to go shopping edition. Would you rather shop for clothes, electronics, grocery, or furniture? Which one's got to go? We know for Alex. No, this is going to surprise you. Groceries have to be. Shopping for clothes is the most annoying thing in the world. I'm with you. If, If I didn't have to, like, know what like, I know what size jeans fit me. I don't shop in store for jeans. I just order them online. Clothes shopping is the worst. I hate clothes shopping, too. It's horrible. I, furniture shopping's tough, but... Oh, that's I, exciting, though, uh, you know? See, I, like that new couch? If it's anything called shopping, mm, I'm out. Alex, you think Tanner has bought a no. couch? <laughs> no, it was kind of on the side of the room. He tried to buy one for me and then said, ah, actually, I, I got, got a free offer. one. <laughs> he <laughs> said, I got a free <laughs> one. I got a better offer, man. Don't be upset <laughs> about it. I'm trying to get rid of this thing, man. Take it from me. I, I was going to give it to him. Nope. Not I'm going to be upset around. about it, okay? It's I can cool. see it's still bugging you. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I would go grocery shopping. If I, I don't mind the other ones as much. I would say grocery shopping is the least favorite for me. That's why you do Instacart and let uh, Ladarius send nope. you jokes. Nope, nope. I won't do it because you can, of Ladarius. You, you can remain calm while you shop. <laughs> you know we're in public, man. Let us continue, buddy. <laughs> Peace stop. <laughs> One, one's got to go. Curry on. <laughs> watching your favorite team win. One's got to go. World Series, Super Bowl, Stanley Cup, Final Four. I don't know what it's like to watch my Yeah, I was going to say go to the Final Four. Final Four is not a realistic young. thing. T-Bones loses in the first round every year. I mean, they've done it more recently than our favorite team has. My, mine would be Stanley Cup. I, I don't, and I've, I mean, I watched the World Series in 2011, but I don't think I've ever been as excited as I was in 2019 watching the Blues win the Cup. Oh, this is one we're staying. I think we view it the opposite yeah, way. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought we were getting rid of this one. So if you need oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Final Four, because I don't know what that feels like, and I never will. Final Four would be cool. Stanley Cup was awesome. World Series. What was the fourth one? Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl was too fun. I would probably say the World Series, too. I... I don't really have a good explanation as to why, but I think that would be my answer. I think mine's the Final Four. Uh, get rid of the Final Four. That would be the one that I would get rid of. I know it's awesome, but college basketball, if you just get out, honestly, for me, Elite A would be great. <laughs> Sweet 16 would be I'm phenomenal. Good. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's been a pleasure to see all of you guys that have been able to come out here into Copper Fire in Belleville, Illinois. The Fast Lane's going to be here live from 2 to 6, so if you haven't come out yet, be sure to do so before 6 o'clock for the Fast Lane. If you miss anything from today's show check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com the free 101 espn app there's a great conversation we had earlier today with ollie that i believe is well worth your time we'll talk to you guys on monday at 11 a.m until then enjoy the fast lane here on 101 espn you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn